Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks, I'm Carl Hartley I'm Max Peterson, and we are continuing to limp and hobble our way towards the end <laughs> Season, uh, yeah. Season three, lockdown edition. Um, so today, listener, we are talking. We're gonna get together, and Carl and I are kind of playing catch up on a movie that we watched. What now? Two months ago. Um, I was still buying Christmas presents for people when I first watched this. So yeah, it's been early December, I think, when my notes were written for this, according to Google Drive. Right. So, yeah. So <laughs> some of my notes. Last are... edit was on December twentieth, but that isn't the day that I watched it. That's the last day I like went in and went. Oh, those are words like fiddled with some notes yeah (laughs) one of my notes talks about an actor who had died air quotes last week and that was december 1st (laughs) so that was a a bit ago um yeah it's been a chaotic season but we're finally going to catch up on 2015's mad max fury road (laughs) tying up november in january (laughs) (laughs) um so mad max fury road uh directed by dick miller uh actually it's it's directed no not dick miller i'm sorry dick miller's an actor george miller directed by george miller written by george miller um this guy brendan mccarthy has a credit as well but i i feel like having watched some interviews with some of the actors that this is really george miller's baby starring starring tom hardy Charlize theron uh, Nicholas Holt, Hugh Kays Byrne as Immortan Joe. Really brief pause here. Um, I think that's his last name. K E A Y S dash Byrne, like John Byrne, B Y R N E. But he passed away December first of twenty twenty, and he, right. I, I did not know until this watch that this actor was actually, um, he's from the first Mad Max film as well. He plays Toe Cutter. Yep. And once you know that, I hadn't I hadn't seen the first Mad Max in ages, but when we first agreed to do this movie, Carl, you know, 4 months ago or whatever when we back in 1997. Yeah, when we got it on the plan, um Mad Max was on the Criterion collection as part of their Australian New Wave mm-hmm. um collection. So I went and spun that and I was looking and, and every time Toe Cutter would pop up, I'm like, god damn, does he look familiar? And then finally his name pops up in the closing credits and I'm like, shit, it's a Morton Joe back from you know, I think he's one of the few people who has a recurring role in this film from the very first Mad Max. Is it because that was my question? I mean, guess we can talk about it later. But right off the bat, I'm like, is this because Toe Cutter gets murked at the end of uh, Mad Max? Yes. Or is it unclear if he's actually dead or not? I, you know, because it's been burned. 20- I think. Yeah, it's been like I watched it once since I saw it. Right. <laughs> um. I, yeah, I do remember there being some. Uh. I, I, again, listener, you're probably screaming like right now. They're like, no, dude. They uh. They twenty tears right. later him and cut his head off completely. <laughs> Mad Max H two O. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, I seem to remember there was some like uncertainty about whether or not he was actually dead because I liked. I, I had a moment in my head where I was retconning that he had just been like grievously injured. And this was I was see I was doing the same thing I was I, whether or not he got like dismembered at the end of Mad Max right right completely drawn and quartered doesn't matter <laughs> in my brain I did the retcon myself and he was toe cutter twenty years in the future or whatever 
let me just hit the rest of this cast. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we've got Josh Hellman, Nathan Jones, Zoe Kravitz, Rosie Huntington Whitley. I recognize that name from somewhere, and I'm, I'll click her in just a second uh, to see what else she's been in, but I feel like we saw her in another movie in season one or two. Riley Kill, Abby Lee, Courtney Eaton, John Howard, Richard Carter, uh, Angus Sampson, and someone named Iota as the Doof Warrior. So I'm assuming that's a DJ of some sort. Um, yeah, Rosie Huntington Whitley Whiteley, also known for Transformers. Okay, well I didn't see that. So let's, yeah, that's pretty much it too. Transformers, Dark Dark Side of the Moon, and Mad Max Fury Road is it. So Carl, first impressions, first thoughts, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, this is one. Okay, I love the entire franchise. Just to like have this up front, like I love all of them, all all four. I even love fucking um, Beyond Thunderdome for what it is. Like, uh, I know it's like the weakest of the three. But oh, your lucky bird's not here. It's her favorite well, one. Does she love it? Yeah. Well, some people like fucking hate it, right? But most people will agree the Mad Max and the Road Warrior are both like, oh shit, Dude, I see her back there. Did oh, you no. see her pop in? Look at her head. Oh my god! Thank you all for joining us on this episode of Measuring Flicks. See you next time. <laughs> Dude, Bird was somewhere else in the house, listener, and somehow, wherever she was... She fucking, like, Kramered that door so hard, man. I I swear to God, I heard her downstairs just, like, two seconds before you said that, and then she just blows the office door off the hinges. Okay, Carl, what did you think? What? Tell me more about Beyond Thunderdome, but say it quietly. Right, well, it's... (laughs) It's not my favorite, but I love it. I love it, but not as much as the others. Okay, yeah, yeah. I love it too, Carl. Hold on. <laughs> oh my god! He, now well, she's, she's, I'm getting the middle he finger. Got the middle now. finger, and she's exit stage right once again, back into the darkness. Wow. Just getting ghosted and like carpet bombed by carpet bomb, <laughs> double barreled, and then ghosted. The man. Fuck, man! It's, it must be hard to be a ninja. Yeah, it is. It's hard to live with a ninja, too. I'll think critical thoughts about, (laughs) about, you know. Oh, my God. No, it's it's one of those movies that I spin when I am at my drunkest and love it. Sure, sure. Like, it was a regular spin in Baltimore, 3 a.m., like, fucking is out of my mind. I'm like, what are we going to watch? Well, it's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, obviously. I I feel the same way that you do about Beyond Thunderdome, which now that we've cracked the lid with Mad Max Fury Road, we'll we'll eventually do them all for the show. But for me, because we did all the Conans, I feel like Beyond Thunderdome is the Red Sonja. Of the Mad Max franchise. I think that's fair, yeah. And, and, you know, like, again, go back and listen, listener. We liked Red Sonja a lot. It just has moments that kind of, like, are a little choppy. There's some turbulence in that This one does, too, actually. I think this one is closer to a Beyond Thunderdome for me than it is a Road Warrior or the OG Mad Max. Really? And only at about the, at the turn, right, is when it gets a little bit... Beyond Thunderdome. Which point when they when they get to the air when they get when to they, the the lost when they get to when they get to Greenland or when they get to right, the place the when they get to place. salvation and realizes that it isn't what they expected they passed it and, okay, then tur- yeah. and then yeah and then turn around and come back it's just really in that ten or fifteen minute like middle part before we turn around and head back that it gets a little bit in that like. We used to watch the television, and we used to do this thing. It gets a little bit hinky for me, but right. uh, other than that, like, dude, this, this movie is, like, number two for me in the entire pantheon of the Mad Max. What's your number one, Road Warrior? My number Road Warrior, without question, is my favorite 
it goes Road Warrior, Mad Max. No, I would say Road Warrior, Mad Max, the this one, then Mad Max, the OG. Gotcha. And then Beyond Thunderdome would be my order of preference for sure. This is number two. Okay, for me, this I love this franchise because I feel like this franchise in particular, if you ask someone about their Conan movies or their Halloween movies or their Friday the 13th or their Nightmares, people will give you kind of a similar lineup. It is mm-hmm. a, it is the rare person, although it's becoming more common now that someone will say, like, Halloween 3 is my favorite Halloween. That's pretty right. rare, but getting more common. With this one, I feel like everyone's got their favorite. For me, it goes Fury Road, Road Warrior, Beyond Thunderdome, OG Mad Max. And it's I think yeah. Mad Max is lowest on that totem pole just because I've seen it least, and also because I think that Mel Gibson shines in his latter two Mad Max movies. And I think in that first one, he's still a little green. You know what I mean? He's green, yeah, just as an actor and in the role of Mad Max. Yeah, he's he's really young in that movie. He's 20s for sure. You can can just tell looking at him. Um, I think that's his last movie too before the car accident, which drastically changed his features. Mm -hmm. All right, so to dig into Fury Road... I think you brought up a good place for us to start in broad strokes conversation, which is the way that this film is structured. Yeah. For those of you who have not seen Mad Max Fury Road, there's going to be spoilers in here, but it really won't matter because that's not how this movie works. This movie, to me, is one of the purest squeezes of adrenaline and nonstop losing your mind action that i've ever seen there are few movies that can maintain this amount of forward momentum without becoming ponderous you know what i mean yes absolutely like mad mad world does yes like a mad 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 slog was did not do that like this movie does i feel like run lola run is one that can maintain Mm -hmm. the tension and the two crank films those movies, the, the, I don't know if there's a third one. There might be, but the first I think two. There's two notable ones. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the, maybe a third that exists somewhere. The first two Statham crank movies are designed in the way that they're written and in their basic premise to just be all out, floor, pedal to the floor action flicks. And the first one, at least, does not succeed. It has a lull because. It couldn't sustain that ener- that that full ahead energy, but but we get to the, a slow spot where we are no longer moving forward. We no longer have pursuers doggedly chasing us. This is a first and foremost. This is a chase film. This is a car chase. This is a two hour long car chase or whatever it is. Now, I the reason that I disagree that that's a lull and where I actually like the little um the little sesura that it gives mm-hmm. us in the action, a, a little moment to. Before we turn back around and fucking put the pedal back to the metal. Um, The reason that I like that is I think that this movie goes through a very interesting evolution from beginning to end. I think it starts as a Mad Max film. We have Max in his car running away from the bad guys. But very quickly, George Miller takes away Max's crazy hair. We have almost no... Uh, dialogue from Max in the whole film. Tom Hardy has, which is, which is in keeping with his character, which is makes sense, but even more so in this. Yes, in this one, his his like verbalizations are almost all monosyllabic. I, I like the decision too, because when we first see him, he's so scraggly. He's man in the desert, and that that might be a good way to start framing this my argument, which is I think yeah. that this movie goes from a Mad Max film to an action car chase to fully, fully operatic 
in the grandest sense. This movie becomes Wagnerian by the end. Yeah, I do. I'm la- I'm laughing because I have that that exact note that this movie <laughs> is more of an opera. The cars are even dancing. Right. Uh as like they are the ballet to the opera that is going on and that they they even have like they have their musicians that travel with them right. at top speed. Their orchestra pit is just mounted yeah. on a truck. Exactly. You know? Like and that was what a brilliant what a brilliant and not at all out of place touch in this movie to have a blind like radio radiation poisoned guitarist with no eyes standing in front of like 50, 50 full stacks just shredding his mind out this whole movie and obviously mm-hmm. he's not the entire score great score by the way by um Junkie XL is the guy is the DJ I think who put this all together. I don't know what electronic musician. One of the things that I like most about this score because I I I don't like this score on its own. I bought the album because I loved the movie and I loved the music so much. The album on its own is out phenomenally boring. It just is. But when you marry mm-hmm. that music to these images, it becomes like a piece it becomes perfection. And I think in in some ways a great score either stands on its own, like John Williams, right, or a great score so subtly supports the movie that it's part of. You know, I was thinking about that when listening to this score, and most recently, I was just on my um, on my iTunes what I listen to when I paint minis or if I'm gaming or just movie soundtracks primarily. Right. And one of my favorites is um, Tron Legacy. It's the um, Daft Punk soundtrack. Right. You want to talk about perfect pairing of music with a thing. It's like we are in the computer and it's <laughs> fucking Daft Punk is the but that works as well on its own as like a unique cool sound and those songs work on their own even the instrumental stuff like the more traditional score parts to that right. they still work but they don't overpower when they're in the movie and become distracting in that way which is you find that a lot. So perfect score to me is one that um you almost forget that it's there yes. when you're watching the movie. Um, the perfect example of that is uh, Star Wars A New Hope, where we have themes for literally, literally every character has their own little theme, and then we have overarching themes. But you're not really aware of them when you're watching the movie, but they inform you where you are and they help to ground you. Right. But you listen if you were to listen to the New Hope soundtrack on its, on its own, 7.1 surround sound headphones, you are transported then without the visual imagery right which is interesting with a score like this where it's doing sort of it's doing everything that a perfect soundtrack or score needs to do within the film doesn't detract from it it actually adds to everything yeah watch these i i think that the action wouldn't be quite as heavy hitting without that soundtrack behind it either right i think you remove either one from its environment neither one works on its own but that's but a, together, they're perfect in this particular film. That's a great way to put it because I was, as you were talking talking through that bit there, I was trying to strip out the score or like what would a different score sound like under the action sequences. Right. And normally, a score that only works in the movie but is like lackluster on its own, I would normally have criticisms for that. But in mm-hmm. this case, this movie's unique in a way in in the way that it feels all of a piece. Mm-hmm. This movie feels like one monolithic 
unit. And if you change an element or strip out an element or 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 anything like that, I feel like it starts to fall apart a little bit. But yeah. with all those parts together, like to have a score that perfectly underscores all of the action on screen yet is so unobtrusive like we talked about the johnny greenwood score for there will be blood yeah that's one that is super unique and stands on its own the the, um, swiss army man's been in my ears almost every day (laughs) right yeah like those all kind of stand on their own and whereas this one does not but it but it does what it's meant to do which is accent this movie to perfection this it's a score that has no flash to it it's not like hey look at me look at me pay attention to me you don't even notice the score while you're watching because the first when you because one it's part of the film because there you get the sense that you're listening you're hearing exactly what that traveling right orchestra is playing so it's and a lot of times the, the movie will have score to blend or bleed into you're you know you're hearing the score and you're like oh wow it's movie score but then the truck gets closer and the score gets louder and then the truck drives by mm-hmm. and the dude playing the score is on the truck <laughs> yeah the, the drummer's like, and, shit. and the guys up front just like just cranking on guitar and you're like oh so that wasn't score that was in world in the movie yeah but then of and course it fades in and fades out yeah. like yeah. Oh my god, it's incredible. it's such an this movie draws you in to its world and then just fully envelops you. For a movie about a po- post-apocalyptic mutants driving around in cars in the Australian outback, like that's kind of what this flick is about. Here here's yeah. the synopsis. A, a a a woman gets into a semi truck to go and load up on yeah, they need more to, guzzling, baby. Yeah, they're gonna, go, they're gonna go to get more guzzling, and they're gonna go get some bullets. I think. Yep. She drives off the main road and hauls ass straight into the desert. Everybody from the dictatorial nation state that she just left floods out the gates after her because she's stolen all of this weird dictator's breeding stock. But not to go that way. Why she going that way? Right, right. <laughs> What's the plan, boss? We're not going? We're going we're going east or whatever it is. But she drives out into the desert. The whole bad armies of all of these warlords start chasing her. And she gets where she's going, decides it wasn't where she wanted to be, turns back around. And drives right back to where we started. There is no other real plot than this. It's all human stuff that happens. It's all character things that yes. build the meat of the movie. The actual plot is people decide they want to drive somewhere. They get there and decide it sucks and drive home. That's the whole yep. fucking movie. And yeah, I th- But between point A and point B and point B and point A, a lot right. of shit happens. <laughs> oh my god, dude. No kidding. Alright, so let's... Let's go to the beginning and start. This isn't this isn't your father's road trip, Maxwell, Mad Max, if I may. (laughs) (laughs) You may, Carl. If ever there was a time to call me Mad Max, this is the fucking episode for it. And and we start with maybe the greatest, my favorite line in any of the Mad Max movies, which is, "My name is Max. My world is fire and blood." That's it. That's how we fucking start. My name is Max. My world is fire and blood. And then he eats a lizard alive, and then we're in a car chase. And it's 20 seconds after the, like, the, you know, Village Road Show, and you're hearing a revving engine, and you're like, what? 
what are we watching here, man? I love it. And I love that they make there there's no question whether or not this is still the same Max that we grew to know and love in the first three movies. He's still driving the Enforcer. Oh, I know you couple of slack-jawed sausages aren't going to start calling Mad Max's 1974 Ford Falcon XBGT Interceptor anything but an Interceptor, right? Yep. This is still the Australian Outback, and then we this is this is him at his grungiest. Like it's been many years have gone by, yeah, and he's become less human since since the events of. Um, uh, the last one. Right. right, and he's never been, like you said earlier, he's never been necessarily eloquent. He's always been gruff and sort yes. of like that uh, that tough, clipped dialogue. Um, I, I, the lack, la, uh, laconic, is that it? There's a, there's a term, by the way. Did you know the term l- laconic comes from the mode of speech of the Lacedaemonians, also known as the Spartans? Really? Our word laconic for like, quippy one-liners like that's what a laconic is sort of a sarcastic one-liner brevity that method of that mode of speech was born because the whole nation state of sparta or city state of sparta spoke that way all of those spartans talked so specifically Such a smart asses yeah, huh? the, all right <laughs> the, the lacedaemonians all basically talked like john mcclain so they invented a word that means Talk like John McClane, and it's the fucking Spartans where it originated. Thank Welcome you, to the party, thank you, Dan Carlin. Yeah, man, <laughs> that's incredible. So you're right, though. He, I think, in a way that the way that we start with him in his long hair and his long beard almost explains away why it's a different actor. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. changing changing actors in a series can kind of throw stuff. It didn't really work in the Bourne franchise. Right. It didn't really work in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies where they're swapping cast. In this one, it does. And that's partly because it's Tom Hardy, and Tom Hardy yeah. is a fucking genius. He is. I gotta say, man, I, after watching Bad Santa, not Bad Santa, fucking the Mel Gibson, he's Santa Claus movie that came out this year, oh, no. and seeing him in that shit, makes me kind of wish we would have gotten mel gibson in this particular flick because he still would have he still got the chops and it would have been like you think so oh my god dude i think it would have added some weight to in a lot of reasons not to get meta but almost him finding some salvation too oh like the the actual actor himself yeah yeah so i hadn't read anything about why they decided not to use him clearly he's I mean, yeah, I know. Problematic. Part so. part of it is definitely his his controversies and and such like. I mean, I don't know if you've seen, but one another actor that we have occasionally admired in the past is in trouble again. Shia LaBeouf is. In, God damn it! I know. I mean, and Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy used to be addicted to meth back in the day. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember which drug it was, but he was a really hardcore drug user. Nice try. Here's a hint. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It's hard to forget or hard to remember when. You you watch movies and talk about them a bunch that they're people. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? These actors, they have incredible jobs, jobs that I wish I had. But they're at the end of the day, they're they're fucking people. They're humans, like, yeah. Especially yeah. when they're when they're portraying characters of such grandeur and and yeah. characters who wrestle with such a character like Max. You know, you you feel like he wrestles with such he's got such a strong moral compass and he wrestles with these titanic moral issues and comes down on the side of good. Well, yeah, but Tom Hardy, when the you know, at the end of the night, cracks a can of Guinness and kicks his feet up and 
you know, throws some, you know, watches football on TV or whatever. This is, and checks his call sheet for the next right. Day. He's yeah, not I mean, in this operatic hero. He's a dude who's playing an operatic hero, and sometimes it's hard to distinguish or to to remember that. Yeah, me personally, this is one of my favorite. Um, this is one of my favorite Tom Hardy roles because it's mine too. I, I one of the reasons <laughs> it really is. I I think one of the things I like about it, George Miller kind of put a lid on some of the. Not grandiosity, yeah, grandiosity that yeah. Tom t- that uh, Tom Hardy is kind of has played with in the past. Bane is big, Bane, yeah. Bane's a really big character. Um, even Forrest Bondurant in in uh, Lawless is, he, even though he is another quiet, subdued character, he's got he's got a certain flair to him. But Max is hollowed out. He's kind of this like doesn't know how to interact with the world anymore. But he can't be big and eloquent. He can't yeah. use his vocal gifts. He can't use his. There's no Bronson in this performance. Yes, yeah. We by not allowing him the Bronson Avenue, it forces this really kind of like bizarrely feverish, introspective performance. And watching him like grunt gruffly rather than use words, mm-hmm. like his nonverbal performative mode here i don't know how to describe this you know, but... he's performing with his entire body like his shoulders are giving performance right because he doesn't have anything else right it's right. the way he turns it's the way that that he just moves his body as one yes and in the past we've talked about him using his body as a we perform- have but yeah this is different though because they're not showcasing like what a mountain he is right you know like the bane bane he used his body his physical meat the size of him was part of his performance. In this, he's he's hidden. He's under stuff. They're not showing off heartthrob, six-pack abs, Tom right. Hardy. This is more about, like, the conservation of motion, how how short and efficient his movements are. Mm-hmm. Here, watching that the scene when he's gathering up the guns inside the cab is one of my favorite moments because you can see his eyes never, ever, ever stop searching stuff, but he'll be, like, snapping at people, like, hey, grab grab that one, but he's not saying anything. He's finding guns with his eyes. Handing, yeah, he reaches back and gives you count ammo on that one while he's, like, doing three other things and interacting with with Furiosa, yeah, it's incredible. Right, right, and then they're they're heading towards that like that weird canyon, and he knows they shouldn't go there. Rather than be like, "What are you going in there for? Don't you know that there are bad bandits in there?" Our line is, "Stay out of there," or, yep. or like, "Don't go in there." And he goes to grab the the steering wheel, and that's all we get. That's another thing that makes I think makes this movie work is the efficiency of the writing. We well, I was gonna say it's feel that's again why it feels so much like a comic book because when you're reading a comic book, you only have so much space for dialogue bubbles amidst the action. Right. You you can't have like 15 words worth of why you can't go in that goddamn cave. <laughs> you don't go there. Next panel. They're in Pulling the cave. The wheel. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you. This is one of those show not tell movies. It's kind of. It's not. Yeah, you know what? It feels a lot like Dune. We yeah. don't know how this world became this world. Even if we've watched the other three Mad Max movies, like, how did we get to a place where, like, okay, Immortan Joe has a bunch of breeding stock, and they use old breeding stock, like the older women who are still lactating and have been forced to continue lactating because there's not enough water to drink, so they're drinking mother's milk but also drinking water 
mother's milk's become a food source. There's a weird religion. One of my favorite things about this movie is the war boys. Yeah. All of these like people who are sick with radiation poisoning, they have body makeup. They have a, like a religious they do their their little symbol thing where they cross their fingers like that. That, Isn't that piston heads? Yeah, it's a V8. They make make the piston heads, and they, like, bow down. And you can see the direct line from, you know, clasped hands of prayer, splay the fingers, and you've got an engine block. And that's what these (laughs) fuckers worship, you know? Um, Well, their Valhalla is, like, they spray chrome in their their teeth, and their Valhalla is, like, motorhead fucking... Right, dude. Like you Paradise. know, yeah. They they crank Ace of Spades on the eight track, and then they suicide bomb themselves. You know, like uh, shiny and chrome. That's what they're all aiming mm-hmm. for. There's a lot of that Viking slash uh, sort of uh, late Japanese bushido, not original bushido, but like mm-hmm. World War Two era bushido, where they sort of emphasized your willingness to die, your fearlessness in the face of death, and suicide. There is a lot of that kind of baked into the war boys they have they have like holy phrases that they repeat to each other i live i die i live again um you know to uh what the fuck is that i to die to die in glory on the fury road or whatever like they they all have i am and they even use valhalla i am awaited in valhalla like how the klingons are very close to like that sort of viking yeah, yeah. Or or like Mongols. They have a little bit yeah, of a Mongol exactly. thing going on too. To die in battle is is honorable and for them it's to die on the Fury Road. Right. To yeah. They, chrome in their teeth and it's it's wild. Witness me, like they when someone's going out, they they pause their fighting to all look at that person. It's in a bizarre way because they are working for like a dictatorial despot who's yes. you know, starving his people of water and he's created artificial famine and drought. But at the same time, the war boys themselves, like every time we watch this bird, will turn to me and say, you know, like, I, I want nothing more than to be a war boy. I just want to be no, a I No, I know. God damn it. You I kinda, know. It's... Yeah, you kind of get it, but they're... But when they they're like the fact that they all turn to look at each other and they show it's that same thing when we we talk about like when that sort of noble death that always chokes me up, even though I know intellectually that it's kind of a complex or problematic thing to think. But like this guy's going out, you know, he's got spears in his side. He's got that one dude's got like spikes hanging out of his face. He knows he's fucking doomed. But if he grabs this, these two like dynamite spears, because all of they they still throw spears, but they've got like German World War II yeah. stick grenades on the fucking ends. God. Dude, this movie's so it's so amazing. Listener, if you haven't seen it, Carl and I can talk about it like a lot, but it will never get across the amount of like adrenaline and your your soul will soar and you'll be confused about why you feel like you're going to cry. <laughs> That's right, listener. Two dudes talking about the movie is by no means as exciting as watching it. <laughs> it's I don't think there's a way to fully explain this no, this film isn't. and its emotional impact that it has when you're in it. When right, you're in exactly. this movie up to your eyeballs, there's we could say things like this movie is holy in a way. This movie right. is a an action masterpiece. This movie is the direct heir of what Richard Wagner was doing. Although I think my friend Adam Lau would probably kill me for saying so. Mm-hmm. But like so there's a there's a book by Frank Miller called The Dark Knight Returns. It's one of the most famous Batman stories of all time. And it starts with old an old man shaving off his mustache and 
squeezing into his tights, you know. And this is directly correlative, I promise you. This old, old Bruce Wayne kind of past his prime. He's been out of society for a while, kind of like Max has. And he squeezes mm-hmm. back into the tights. And it, it starts out as kind of like a, I'm getting too old for this shit. Or yep. one more time. Starts as that kind of story. And it's broken into three books. Morally, broken into three books within the within book. the trade, yeah. And by the fucking third one, you have Batman riding on a horse with lightning crashing in the background as he leads an army on foot into a city, and you can practically fucking hear Ride of the Valkyries in the background. Mm-hmm. That arc from old fat Bruce Wayne out of shape getting into the suit one more time to like literally on a rearing horse with lightning crashing behind him leading an army to overtake the mutant run Gotham City the most grand battle scale this epic crashing for all times mythological triumph that this simple little comic book ends as. That is this film. It starts with Max in a busted-ass car, and it ends with... Recycling his piss and eating lizards. Yes, dude. He's re- yeah, it's... <laughs> recycling his piss and eating lizards. Recycling his piss and eating lizards. And by the end of it, man, you've got Immortan Joe with his face ripped off, cooking on the engine of his own war rig. Recycling his piss and eating lizards. As Fucking Fur- incredible. As Furiosa and co. rise to ascend to the throne of this overthrown empire that, you know, with a dictator cooking on the car... It goes from, like, fairly simple, small story to, I genuinely believe, modern mythological tale. I think that if society ended tomorrow... Well, the hero literally rises at the end, much like Dark Knight Rises, but that's a whole different thing. But, she, I mean, she's rising up to... Right. Like, the hero has risen. Yeah, we're, we're watching the hero rise. We're he- and, the, and the score changes, too. Like, I, I, I don't think this is an accident. I don't think anything in this movie is an accident. Oh, God, no. You pointed out, like, they take their orchestra pit around with them, and there are dance numbers. I mean, the polecats that we the see. The polecats are just, that's ballet. That's, fuck, dude. It's the, dancing. It, it's not incredible. On, not only is it dancing and incredible, it is one of the most dangerous and most impressive fucking stunts I've ever they're seen. They're doing it at speed, dude. I mean, <laughs> yes. yeah, they're they're doing digital wire removal, but they're going 80, 85 miles an hour and doing that shit. I don't give a fuck what kind of harness I'm in. Right. I'm shitting I'm my pants. covered in shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the actors are complaining because they're just getting spackled. If I, put a pole in my, if I could put a six-foot pole in my backyard and climb to the top of it, I'm probably going to have a little poo come out. So, like... <laughs> To be on like a flexible sixty foot pole that's whipping you fucking back and forth like a a Camaro going ninety miles an hour. Yeah, dude, you're you're a human. You can go go fuck yourself. You've become a human metronome. I don't know though. If I had a dude like ripping a Marshall full like twenty Marshall full stacks right next to me, I might get a little artificial. uh, All right, I I take it back. I take it back. Courage. I mean, yeah, maybe you know a couple pulls off the old Jack Daniels bottle, maybe a couple. Off the right, bud. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. run me up the pole, motherfucker. Oh, you're run me up the, the pole. You're one of them old school stunt men who's like, "What do you want me to do?" Yeah, that's a three shot kind of stunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, they they rank it from is either a Jim Beam, a Jack Daniels, or we're going for like twenty five year old McAllen just right from the bottom. Right. 
Because <laughs> it might be your last drink. Yeah, that'd be your last drink. The cliffhanger airplane stunt is a twenty-five-year McAllen glass. For sure. <laughs> You're gonna just take it out of the bottle. Yeah. Do you see what I have to fucking do today? Uh, you, do you want a glass? Uh, nope. Because <laughs> I want to. Wipes it off. He takes his t-shirt up. Just. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing we should say about this movie. Um. So one of the things that when this movie first came out, all of you know this because it was lauded massively for its stunt work. Almost nothing. Almost. You can tell what's what, obviously, but almost nothing in this movie is CGI. This movie... Just for enhancements to, like, um, environmental effects. Yes. Cloud storms, wire removal. The sandstorm, taking out the the wiring harnesses. Yeah, stuff like that. It's They use CGI for touch-up, but all the stunt work, all the crazy wild shit you're seeing, all the car crashes, except, of course, for the some of the, like, three... um, Because this movie was obviously made for 3D. We get some stuff springing straight towards the screen a couple times. That stuff is digitally added in, but the car crashes, all the stunt work... All real, all done by stunt people. And even more impressive to me, all that shit where Tom Hardy is strapped to the front of his own car, you know, like getting swerved around. Oh, when he's, the blood, when he's still blood bagging? Yeah, he's, he's blood bagging. Oh, it's not his car. It's a different car. But he's... Uh, when no, he, but I think it's his car, though. I think that's the enforcer that oh, they damn. refit for them, and he's now on the hood of what used to be his car. You called it the enforcer again. What did I say? What did I say? Is it for? Is that his? I think it's it, the the enforcer is definitely definitely not an enforcer, but an interceptor, an interceptor driven by one of the principal uh, uh, war boys. But I'm not sure. I, I know that the enforcer comes back because there's a moment when he's in the war rig and he points out the window and he says, "That's my car." Except it isn't his car because his car is an interceptor. You fucking idiot. Yep. Um, yep. But that bit where he's on, like, staked right. to the. Right. Oh, wasn't. So he's like. No, nah, it, it might be the enforcer. Okay, I quit. Call it whatever you want. Maybe Max drives a fucking sob. Maybe it's a fucking pinto. Call it whatever you like, you fart whiffing knuckle nuts. Because it wasn't wrecked that bad in that crash, I don't think. But I don't think the first car he's on is. But that's neither here yeah, nor right. there. When Tom Hardy is strapped, is on that stake on the front of this car with a tube coming out of his neck running blood back to his radio, radioactively poisoned <laughs> warboy driver, and he's got that fucking huge metal Hannibal Lecter muzzle on his face, and the car's tooling around at like 50, 60 miles an hour in the sand, swaying back and forth, going up on two wheels. That is really Tom Hardy on that car. All of that shit where he's on the front of that fucking thing strapped in, and that thing is going nuts, dude. He is sl- swinging back and forth, sand in his face. He's yeah, because his arms are behind him. Yeah. It's just like he's got no self-protection happening nope. he can't, at all. He can't let go. He can't jump off if stuff goes sketchy because you want him affixed to the car. You don't want him to fall off and go under the wheels. Jesus this The amount of danger that is involved in just that very simple stunt is astonishing. And when you realize that that is like maybe the least dangerous stunt in the entire movie, you really get a some sense. Of it, some of it feels like they're they're being kind of irresponsible a little bit. Sometimes. It like, just, <laughs> it's like one of my notes is, oh shit, no, they do still make movies, right? Like, ugh, Yeah, just... dude. Um, Okay, so I'm sorry. I keep jumping around because this, no, it's fine, I man. just want to. But, um... So remember when we and one of my favorite things to do these days is compare movies to other movies because I haven't done a lot 
except watch movies lately, <laughs> but um, been a lot of that. You know how we talked about you weren't on the episode, but when Connor and I were talking about Mandy, one of the mm. things that we loved about Mandy was that there's like thirty minutes of movie before the title card. The title card comes pretty late. This one doesn't necessarily come late, but the amount of shit that they pack ahead of the title card is outrageous. The The first thing you see when you watch this movie, and I, I watched this movie um, calibrated on purpose. Like I sometimes with Mandy, I watch um, in vivid just because I think the colors look a little better when right, they pop a lot more. Yeah, yeah, where they're like artificially kind of meant to be pushed. So but this one I set it to be calibrated. So it's I'm going to watch it with the color grade that George Miller wants me to see. This is the most unbelievably saturated movie I have maybe ever seen. The only thing that even touches it is Mandy in Vivid. This movie wow. calibrated is the saturation's like a hundred fucking percent. Jesus. It's I saw the black and chrome this go around, so you did watch the black and chrome. Yeah. Okay, so now since I'm talking about this, I thought that the that opening shot where he's like he eats the lizard, he gets in the car and we're driving, that desert looks like Mars, dude. It looks like the rover images of Mars. It is a Martian hellscape. I I have like applauding hands written into my notes. I have things all in caps. <laughs> this is such a bold grading decision. Obviously, the I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it in such loving terms if every piece wasn't so dialed in. The cinematography is gorgeous, especially when you factor in how difficult is it, Carl? The, the the main director almost never shoots action sequences because they take so long. They usually have the right. second unit do action sequences. This movie is one long action sequence with like three dramatic pauses in it, you know? And it's consistently beautifully shot. These people know how to shoot a goddamn car chase. The the interior watching the polecats come down from the interior of the cab is amazing cutting to an ultra wide where we're where each car is like a ant like a speck on your fucking screen just to show the matte the digital matte painting glory that is that impending fucking apocalyptic sandstorm <sighs> I, did you just get chills because i just gave yeah, myself chills thinking yeah. about that image dude that, that scene of the because we go right to them just charging full bore into to, it towards it yeah into it with cyclones like three or four of them there's multiple <laughs> like yeah. like tornadoes in the sandstorm it's yeah. it's they drive straight into hell man one of the things that i kept ta- kept noting in here is there's so many moments in this movie that i would gladly pay five hundred dollars to have a high quality print of it framed oh, in my, my office I, yeah. like a quarter of this movie you could screenshot it, put it in a frame, and throw it up in your house as art. It's fucking gorgeous. But I, this is a question that I had because I've mm-hmm. never seen the black and chrome version. You've seen both versions now a yeah. couple times. What did you think? Do you think it is gimmicky to yep. strip the color out? You do? 100%. Yeah, I think that for a couple of things, it's kind of neat. It's like, oh, because it look. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much black and white, except the grayscale is a little more... Uh, chromed, I guess you could say. It has a little more of a shine to it, but not, not, not. So, it's basically black and white. So they so, do, but they do leave a lot of the grayscale in. I was wondering if they were yeah. going to do like a eraser head or pie type thing where they pushed it into a more mono, 
monochromatic, just blacks and whites. No, there's definitely a lot of, of gray left in, but it's it. It was kind of neat at first, and then it's like, man, I, I was missing the color. Yeah. Especially in moments where, like, you're going into that storm, for instance, right. where it's it takes that grand, incredible moment and makes it look like the Twister from Wizard of Oz, right? So it's, like, still kind of impressive. <laughs> right. But it's not that you don't get those, like, purples and oranges and those crazy fucking hues that you get in the color right. again like you said like super blown out and saturated with the color palette of this film yeah when you do it in black and chrome you're missing all of that that's one of the, when you first oh, go yeah, ahead, go ahead. It, it feels like to me if because i think on one of our message threads we were talking about james bond where if if the the opening scene of casino royale had if we kept that black and white and that tone throughout the rest of the movie it would have been it wouldn't have been a james bond movie it would have been a film noir instead which would have been an interesting take but i'm glad that we got an actual james bond movie but it's cool that we had that three and a half four minutes of this black and white shot really stilted fucking james bond introduction yeah yeah so i feel like it's like for the first five minutes with this black and chrome it's like oh this is kind of cool but then after that the sort of the gimmick kinds kind of wears off and I'm like, right. I just want to see this in color again now because the tone doesn't shift at all. Right. There isn't any reason for it. Now there is another movie that did this and did it well. It's the mist that has a colorized version and then a straight black and white version of the mist based on the Stephen King book. Right. People trapped in a grocery store and there are big tentacly things outside. Can I, can I pause you real quick just to yeah. point something? Okay, listeners, if you want a really fun Stephen King experience, there is a little audio. It's not really an audio book. It's more like an audio play or an audio production of mm-hmm. The Mist. It's called The Mist in 3D Sound. And if you mm-hmm. have good headphones, man, they act out The Mist, and they did a full surround sound headphone mix for it so you can hear, like, it, it's pretty fun. It's basically like a radio play done yeah. in, done in 360 and based on a Stephen beautiful. King story. Yeah, so... Wh- but it works for The Mist because right. there isn't anything in the color version that I feel like I'm missing out on. In fact, I think the black and white enhances The Mist. I would I will never watch the colorized version of The Mist again if I have You did watch it choice. once, though. Oh, I've watched it twice in color and three times in black and white. And black okay. and white is my preferred way to watch that movie. I just think it, it reads more creepy yeah the the effects look better because it sort of hides some of the flaws in the in the cg and in some of the puppetry but how was it originally shot black and white or color it's originally shot in color i keep saying colorized but it's black and white to dyes gotcha okay so they so they they took it to grayscale they stripped the color out of it yeah they stripped the color out yeah but with this i feel like the color is such an integral part of the film itself that right. when you when you do the gimmick of making it black and chrome it right. just does, it doesn't work see when you first suggested this you said i'm thinking about spinning the black and chrome do you want to do it like we because we accidentally did this something similar with funny games and it actually yeah. worked really well for the episode i'm glad that you bit the bullet and watched the black and white one because it gives me the opportunity to say i cannot having watched it again very recently i can't imagine it in black and white. Obviously, no. I've seen the trailers for like the black and chrome version and stuff, but so much of what I love about this movie is its consistently bold grade. When we get to the night scenes, when they're going past the like weird bird scavenger creatures in the, what we find out will be spoilers, the original green place, it's just blue. It is it is as complete 
a monochromatic blue grade as uh, it, in the mouth of madness when he wakes blue. up and he's like, you know, my favorite color is blue. Color's blue. Fine. Yeah, it's it's like that. But call back to episode one, bud. I know, man. Any chance to call back to those first couple? Like, maybe I'll try and fit in a jacket, like the jacket somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, like that's pretty fucking brave to give me. Yeah. Not and not a short amount of time either. We're talking ten, maybe fifteen minutes, where all I'm looking at is midnight blue, shades of midnight fucking blue on screen. It's the the color grade in here is almost a masterpiece. Yeah. Of, of uh, by itself. Yeah. So when so if you're gonna yeah, that's why I just I don't know who who came up came up with the idea to do that. It just seems like a way to to sell the two disc special edition version for an extra ten bucks rather well, than well you can't buy them together you got to pick one no, or the other I it's, fucking know it's yeah. ridiculous <laughs> I'm gonna hey Carl I'll give you one guess who comes up with a dumb money grab idea do you think would it be like the the studio, the, exactly? the studio probably yeah that sounds like a table meeting the, while they're jerking each other off with sausage like what if we what, what if we made it black and white black and white is in right now and then there's some <laughs> guys like no man I just watched this movie what if we make it Black and chrome. That's the worst part. Oh. Yeah, that, that's the worst part right there. Is you can hear the rest of the table go. <gasps> oh, black and chrome. Chrome. Yes, 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 yes. But, but we won't actually make anything chrome. We'll just make it black and white. But they'll think it's chrome because you know. Uh, just tell them to make it kind of chromey if they can. <laughs> right. But really, black and white's what we're after. Put it through a filter. Yeah, they they send it down to like Skywalker. You know, the Adobe Premiere. They're like, just put the fucking like sepia tone filter on it. <laughs> like, yeah. They, they, they get it into like Final Cut Pro 10 and they're like black and white button. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 10 million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. They open up Colorista and they like gra- they grab the like inkwell filter and just drop it on the movie. And they're like, there we go. How much did that cost? Done. Hundred. You want, want me to throw some want me to throw some film grain on there? I can do it. <laughs> I can throw some film grain on there for you. How about a watermark or two? A cigarette burn. You want a cigarette band and make it feel like they they changing reels? Dude, that was a thing back in the day. <laughs> Remember when they had cigarette bands? <laughs> you had a fucking change the thing over. That's what nah, sh- I'll leave it out. Carl, let's, let's, let's pitch that for the 60th anniversary of Die Hard. <laughs> right. We'll do a cigarette burn every time John McClane lights a cigarette. We'll put a cigarette burn on there. Boop, boop. <laughs> With the irritating boop in the exactly. right in the soundtrack. Um. Yeah, what else was I talking about? Sorry, we were talking about the color grade. Oh, right, right. The The color grade's amazing. But, yeah, so to jump back sort of to the beginning of the movie, when we're first introduced to Immortan Joe, who I forgot his name at the beginning, so I was writing in my notes that it called him General Scroat. <laughs> General Scroat Skin. Um, his... That's funny, because Scrotus is the name of the bad guy in the video game adaptation of Mad Max. Is it? There's another yeah. guy in here. I, by the way, the character names, we didn't really get into them, but they're pretty they're great. great. Rictus, Rictus Erectus. Rictus Erectus. That actor is six foot eleven. Jesus Christ. Dude, that that's a six foot eleven man that's built like that. Imagine Tom Hardy as Bane. But instead of five foot seven, five foot six, he's like six lurch. foot eleven. Yeah, dude, when he picks that engine block up over his head at the end of the movie, I'm looking at him like six foot eleven. He might actually be able to do that. He might have just, just ripped did the that. F- I think he just did it. Yeah. Maybe George Miller had to rewrite the end because he's like, oh shit, that guy ripped the engine out of the fucking truck. <laughs> okay, well that truck's toast. I guess let's crash it. Tell, the me, next we got, tell me we got film in the can. <laughs> <laughs> Someone get keep that? rolling. Keep keep rolling. By the way. 
No, I no, we can't jump ahead. I've got to try and rein myself my my enthusiasm in for this. Um we so some of what I love about this movie and and the score is it establishes early on that it's it's being something it's going to try and be something bigger than the mm-hmm. previous 3 Mad Max films. And we see that with the medals on Immortan Joe's clear body armor. Um I wrote down the the depth the depth of this reality is so deep and so complete that before we even get underway this movie's become atmospherically at least a masterpiece yeah. it feels real the way that dune feels real you're dropped yeah. into a world and it everybody really there understands the world except for you and no one seems like they're trying to explain it because why no would because they why would they exactly? Because why exactly? And then but they give you enough. It's it's like learning a language by immersion. You're just so fucking drawn in and wrapped up in the movie that you quickly get a shorthand going, so you can kind of you're, understand what's well, going you, on. Yeah, you're creating your own map, so right. it's yeah, dude. The, which which makes you a part of it, which is fucking incredible. Right, and the fact that. Okay, so we get before the title card, we get that amazing chase sequence where Tom Hardy's getting tattooed. They're gonna brand him. He's running around. They overclock. Typically, dude, how many times have you and I like kicked a movie in the nuts for overclocking footage? Like all the time. 20, Anytime 30, they do it, pretty much. Yeah, every time you overclock footage, it's just like that's goofy. Why are you overclocking this? <laughs> this whole beginning section is shot. It looks like it's shot like sixty fps. It's a little bit too sharp, and yes. all almost all of it is overclocked. Tim, he's he's running faster, he's climbing faster, he's jumping and swinging like everything is too fast because they overclocked the footage just a smidgen. Just a bit, but it's not that like super hectic overclocking no. like you're used to seeing. This is like two and a half extra frames per per second, second maybe. Yeah, like yeah. they're just they're just they just twisted it just a touch. And my favorite thing about it is wouldn't have it any other way. No, this is exactly how you use overclocking your footage, and they don't do it with the cars because the cars are actually going (laughs) like you don't have to. When you're actually driving 90 miles an hour, you don't have to make 35 look like 95. No, yeah, when oh yeah, that okay. The most egregious use of overclocking is any car making a turn and they want to make it look fast, but the car like sticks to the road because it's really doing about 22, and they've got it doing about 122 in the overclock. That the one of the most egregious um, uh, uh, examples of that is actually in the, the original Terminator has a lot. Anytime a car is driving fast, that fucker is overclocked by like <laughs> 148 frames a second. <laughs> I was thinking of like any when I was a kid and didn't know what overclocking was. I look at my my uncle Dave and we're watching like. That seems goofy. He was like, yes, they're overclocking the footage. Let's pause and have a conversation about what that means. Let me explain why these filmmakers are bad. Yeah. It's, <laughs> speaking of James Cameron, why these filmmakers are bad. Right, yeah. we. Well, you know, James Cameron, he, he really was just an unhappy, miserable guy until he got down in his... <laughs> Until they got down in his little one-man Bubble. submarine, just looking doing at Titanic, blow. doing blow <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean. They're going to give me shit for fucking overclocking. I was making it. It was 1985. Do you remember the practical? Do you remember the robot effects? That was groundbreaking. God damn it. I created technology. I created technology. <laughs> yeah, man. He's like, 
Everybody loves Kubrick because he had NASA build him a lens. I built a goddamn android. <laughs> Just snorking. <laughs> Someone let me out of this goddamn. I'm down here for a school paper. Hey, Mr. Cameron. Um, it's Carl and I again. We we didn't really. We're sorry. The overclocking wasn't that bad, honestly. We're not going to go back and change our minds about it, but we didn't honestly think it was that bad. <laughs> Are, are you drilling? Are you drilling a hole through the um through the roundel? You don't want to do that, Cameron, Mr. Cameron. That. It, there's a lot of pressure down here, Mr. Cameron. I'm under pressure every goddamn day. <laughs> Boom. I bet he's like the most chill guy ever. He's got a trillion. Oh, he is. Dollars. Have you ever seen like fucking interviews with him? Shit, dude. It's so chill. If you had made nine out of twenty of the best movies ever, <laughs> yeah, no sure. um. So, what did you think of the? First of all, sorry, I'm just, oh God, I'm scattered as fuck today. No, Listener, that's okay, I'm, man. I'm punishing the listeners is what I am. <laughs> We're talking about a movie we watched last year, so. It's true, it's true. We should throw this on Patreon just as, <laughs> just to be like. No, we've got to put a cap on Road Vember, where the uh, fuck this it, I think it was Road Vember, good memory. Yeah. Um, But talking about this movie and it's intentionality where where it's mm-hmm. going it's trying to build up a mythic structure or it's building up this intensely operatic wagnerian scope where it becomes where early on it knows that it's going to be bigger than who run Bata town or oh okay we got 50 cars coming and basically like the road warrior is essentially the magnificent seven or yeah we Kara gotta Kru- protect the town yeah right it's seven samurai but set in post-apocalyptic australia with a lot of cars or amigos 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 exactly anything <laughs> that's based on a Kurosawa seven samurai yeah um so this movie opens with immortan joe coming out and talking to dude those those bird's eye view shots of the starving, fly-blown, emaciated masses. That's pretty goddamn disturbing, man. Like, yes, it is. That, that group of extras, they dirtied and fucked those dudes up so much. Everyone is, they're like, all right, we need people in as skinny as possible. It's as if it's a crowd made out of the actor who played Sloth. In fucking oh seven. God, yes, yes. Which famously, that's a. There's actually a funny story about in that Jupiter guy. Jupiter from uh, the West Craven flick, The Hills, the Hills Have, Have Eyes. Eyes. Yeah, it's yeah. like a crowd made out of J- Jupiters and sloths from from seven. And Immortan Joe comes up and he he grabs the handle. He grabs these handles and everyone's got bowls. And they're he's making some big grand speech. You know, like oh, it's a big send off because they're sending. Um, uh, Furiosa off to go get more gasoline, and this you, we get the sense that this is kind of like a celebratory day. And there's these giant pipes, like what 400 feet off the ground, and I'm talking mm-hmm. big pipes, dude. You could you could drive a school bus into them. Oh yeah, absolutely. There, it's like the tunnels that uh, John McClane goes through in Die Hard Three, like yeah, that side. yeah, where where you know the water the water pressure coming out of them would would sweep away a semi, like that absolutely. kind of thing. And Immortan Joe pushes these big handles, and you hear, you know, like the giant machinery in this. It's not a mountain. It's a giant plateau in the middle of the desert. And you get the sense that they're pumping the groundwater, the deep groundwater up, up into this, like, they've hollowed it out and made it into this, like, kind of weird hell pit machine thing. And then water starts gushing out. 
And here's where I think this movie differentiates itself from its predecessors. The score has choral there's choral elements to the score there's grand string compositions there's it's it's full orchestral score 10 minutes into a mad max movie and we're watching an entire people an entire civilization who is we're we're basically watching stalin era russians or better yet ukrainians like mm-hmm. Stalin era Ukrainians in a breadline. No other Mad Max movie has touched something this. Yeah, they're not handing out the bread. They're they're throwing it just bushels at a time. Get it while you can. Right, and the amount of what when you look at the number of people in that crowd and you see the amount of water that he gives out, and you realize that it is nowhere near enough water for even a third they're, of these they're people. They're blowing up mud because it's. The more water than they've seen in, in how, who knows how many yes, days. The, like. the people who are like scooping mud into their mouths and, and people who are like pushing to get a, a bowl the size of a cereal bowl under a trickle of water just to – and he's gushing gallons and gallons. Like we, he probably gushes a 1,000 or 2,000 gallons on these people, but then he cuts the water off and his line, Do not, my friends, become addicted to water. Like – what the fuck? What did you just say? Become addicted to water? This, you know how we need that to live, bro. Right? The single most necessary thing for life. Do not yeah. become addicted to water. Right out the gates, this movie is really establishing a tone. You know what I mean? Like hearing that come out of a dude's mouth, you are kicked back. You're on your heels. You're like, yes. I don't even understand. I don't understand this world, and now I'm paying attention. But also to have. A, a man-made waterfall pouring onto, like, a biblical mass of cast-out and cast-down subjugated people with a hundred-person chorus singing along to a full orchestra. This is not a Mad Max movie now. Like, now I need to r- cognitively reframe to figure out what yeah. George Miller is swinging for. And by the end of this movie, I'm openly crying because I think he accomplishes it. You know, mm-hmm. it's fucking incredible. So we we get on the road. Furiosa jumps in the war party. They all head off. She's got like there's a couple of cars with them. She's got some war boys mounted on the war rig. Dude, that war rig is fucking baller. It's <laughs> yes, like, it is. It's like a cab and a half semi that's been modified into yeah. a somehow modified. It's got like a. It's basically like an old lead sled muscle car that's been modified into like a full trailer rig exactly. with a big yeah. fuel tanker on the back. And I love it because we're introduced to it and it's it's where – it's the place we call home for 90% of the movie. It's the Millennium Falcon. It's Serenity. This is our home right? where the characters interact and have their experiences – all inside pretty much the cab yeah, of if, this war rig. If you cut like four characters out of our main cast, this turns into Locke, Road Warrior. Right, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It all takes place in a semi, more or less, unless we're... I mean, it doesn't, but it does. Um, Max basically doesn't leave the semi until they get to the green place. They're yep. in the cab the whole time, driving through the night. We get... The way that they duck out of the cab is cool, too. We obviously see some of the people who are pursuing them, but we also get dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they managed to create multiple rooms within a single semi. That's one of, that's one of my, 
one of my notes is that there's some little bit of Time Lord technology going on here where it's bigger on the inside. Somehow they have made it feel like there are different compartments and cabins within right. this. But it doesn't feel like it's fake too big or fake. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it's just. Yeah, it feels conceivable that these yes. places are real. Like there's a watchtower on the back, like a guard mm-hmm. tower where you you can shoot at people who are following you. And we have some really beautiful moments between like Nux and some of the and one of the girls in that that back room. And then you've got that like hidden passageway that leads under the truck. And that's another thing. This is this movie. One of the rooms of the semi is just under the fucking semi, strapped to the bottom of it. They do like mechanical repair work on this thing while it's while driving, dude. Got to get that second engine going while we're going ninety miles an hour, strapped to the underside. Right, he's like, yeah, Fuck like you, Indiana Jones, you slid under <laughs> a thing and you had a trench. Yeah, this dude's like, and what's the what is he? Matt Max has a name. He says something to uh, to Nux. He says, "Are you a black thumb?" Mm-hmm. Like, dude, a black thumb is someone who can work on machines. Oil is all that oil and grease, and yeah, oil and grease becomes really important. Like, for example, um, like axle grease off the steering column is what makes up Furios's war makeup. Is that and Bird? Of course, every time you watch it, you're like, Charlize Theron, your face would be as pocked as the fucking moon if you were actually rubbing axle grease on your face yeah. every day. You, your pores would be so fucked, your brain would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have all kinds of cancers. But yeah, like <laughs> all kinds, all of, kinds cancer. of cancers. <laughs> but but it's little shit like that. It's the one-off lines. Like, are you a black thumb? Yeah. All right. Well, I need you to get that second engine running. And he throws him a tool belt, and not only a tool belt, but also like mount a mountaineering clip to clip himself into the bottom so he can free hang under a truck that's hauling Ooh. ass under fire. And work on the goddamn truck while it's moving. Dude, it's not on the smoothest terrain. They're not on pavement here, people. No, this is like, it's either like full-on sand or like the loosest packed two-track of all time. Yep. Um, God, it's amazing. So they get on the road, and Immortan Joe goes back to his, what, his his chambers? Or like the, the chamber where the, the air quotes breeding stock is kept in. Yeah, are- well, he's he's got a moment of, oh, fuck. If she's doing that, I bet... That this is what's going on, and he hustles his ass to the chamber, yeah, where he has his breeders. Yeah, yeah, he keeps his. That's what they keep calling him. That keep calling them throughout the movie too. They keep well, the bad guys keep calling them breeders. They all have yes. names, but um, it's basically a bunch of Victoria's Secret models. Actually, much. some of them are Victoria's Secret models. Like that is actually factually true. Um, but yeah, so. We find out that Furiosa has stolen all of the young women. One of them is pregnant, right? Yeah, one of them is f- like fully pregnant, about uh, almost a term. That's because Ro- she's almost having her baby right. several and times. That's Rosie Huntington Whiteley. That is the pregnant one. So yes. she and Zoe Kravitz is the badass one who knows about guns. That's how yes. I'm keeping them straight in my head. Um, but yeah, so Furiosa steals all of them, and her plan is to take. These these women back to the green place where she grew up, the land of the place of many mothers, which is fitting because that's what these women were intended to be. Yes. Um, under this warlord in Morton Joe. And yeah, you're right. So she she dives off the trail. And once Joe realizes that she's not going where she's supposed to be going, he goes, ah, shit. Yep. One of the things I love are those 
those the quotations, the graffiti all over that room. Our babies will not be warlords. Who killed the world? We are not things. Those phrases come up again and again throughout mm-hmm. this. Later on, when Nux first um, infiltrates the cab, and the, the women manage to kick him out, because he they're all under strict orders, do not damage the women. Don't hurt Immortan Joe's... They're his prime breeders, it's that yeah. thing. Like, don't damage the goods, kind of. It's sick. But um, when Nux jumps in, and they kick his ass out, he goes... He goes, we're not, we're not to blame. And Rosie Huntington-Whitley says, then who killed the world? And you realize something. These war boys all have their like, I live, I die, I live again. Witness me. They've all got their little phrases. This is their religion, right? So our babies will not be warlords. Who killed the world? We are not things. Are these the catchphrases of the underground? Of the I rebellion so. against Joe? And you get a sense that this is another faction that we've not yet encountered. I don't think that any of you've seen. You may have watched the other ones more recently than I, but with Beyond Thunderdome, with Road Warrior, it does feel like little villages are popping up. Yeah, absolutely. But I, it's earlier in the in the whole post-apocalyptic timeline. Right. Boy, that was a. <laughs> <laughs> I had to punch that one out. Um, so, the, yeah, that's more of the survival. The, these people have been, they've built this facility out in the middle of nowhere, right. and they're learning how to be a civilization again in Road Warrior. And then in um, Beyond Thunderdome, we have a little bit more uh, sophisticated society right. with a little bit more rules and structure and uh, almost like a religion in a way. Yeah, there's a market. There's a like a gladiatorial combat. So there, exactly. that is, so there's entertainment. Yeah, in a in a really and cool way. This is the ultimate sort of version of that where now we're in this extreme form of dictatorship where everyone has seemed to have gravitated towards because this is the largest population we've seen. But you and you well. also and you also have a, what I would call a culture for the first yes. time. Like yes. there is a there's a shared gestalt, you know? Yep, like absolutely. Yep. Every, shared every, language, shared religion and shared There are fra- yeah, there's a religion, there are phrases, there are mores, there's cultural mores, there's a specific um power hierarchy. I this the movies it's bizarre. This one is such a fucking left turn from all the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's so, such an outlier amongst the franchise and yet it feels perfectly of a piece with the other films. Absolutely. It doesn't feel any it's not yeah. prometheus you, you you know? it, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, it, i'm sorry i look you man that's a bad thing max i i'll bad thing i'm a bit of a prometheus apologist i thought it was fine for what it is yeah, conversation but... about never bringing that fucking piece of shit up in my presence again <laughs> oh is this your diehard five it might be okay it might be but but yeah, but you know what I mean. Whereas Prome- yes, Prometheus do. does not feel like part of the Alien franchise. No, it really doesn't at all. Well, neither does Resurrection. But I dig that one too for what it is. Is that the David Fincher one? That's the no. That's the third one. The fourth. Oh. That the fourth one is like written by Joss Whedon. It's where she's half alien, half human <laughs> because it's many years in the future and they clone her so that they can get the alien out of her and then they end up saving her because she has a little bit of the alien DNA in her. Gotcha. So she gets yeah. So okay, it's really I, fucking dumb. I've never, but it's fun as shit. I've never seen that one, but I will I'll watch it, man. Okay. Um so I like what what did you think about and by the way, where all of that where all of that graffiti is, mm-hmm. that 
that's there's a milking room right next to that. Yeah. That dude, let me tell you right now, that is pretty shocking to see. This movie came out in 2015, even in 2020 or 2021. Even having watched I I'm sorry that we I, we just got past this Carl. I don't mean to hurt you again, but we got to okay. see, we got to see a basically sci-fi alien abortion in Prometheus. That was pretty fucking hectic. For some reason, something about this bothers me more. Like this this movie well, well because well this is why I think maybe this bothers you and bothers me more. Yeah. Cuz in in Prometheus it's an alien that she is having to take out of her. It's science fiction. It's sure. it's implausible. The chances of that actually happening to a human slim to none. This is a possible future. This could be something that happens where oh wow women were forced to lactate in, into their 60s and 70s to make their and to make product. their milk a product like they were not i mean this is this is one step removed from like soylent green as people i mean it's like this is a possible this is a far future possibility let's maybe not the future i mean it's it's something that it, it's so disturbing because it's not science fiction feasible feasible uh, or, or or possibly comprehensible at yes. least you know like this is something that i could see let's right. duck into this really briefly we won't linger here obviously but we watched this movie in 2020 under uh, uh, with, <laughs> so with my first handful of notes are very like it feels a lot like we're on this path now it's are my notes i can't believe that i didn't make this connect i i honestly didn't put any of this together until just now i'm, I'm looking at myself in the corner and i have like <laughs> the most edward scissorhands hair ever i'm sorry um but <laughs> In 2020, when we watched this, Trump was still president, and the the pandemic. I mean, not that the pandemic's much better right now, but like shit. We didn't have a vaccine when we watched this the first time. That's true. The shit was really hitting the fan hard, and it looked like society was breaking down. And then we watched a movie about what happens after the apocalypse. You know, I didn't put any of that together because I think maybe because I'd seen it so many times, I just fell into the patterns of the movie. But you're right, man. Like this looked this in 2020 looked kind of familiar possible yeah maybe possible like where women's where women's rights have been stripped back so far that's where i was thinking yeah it's like a bunch of old white men assuming that they can tell a woman what to do with her body and that's exactly what we're seeing here as to its extreme where we're going to force you to lactate and have our children sure yeah Like like obviously this would be the most the, the furthest extremity of the end right. of the world. But, but like, not that the current issues aren't any, uh, yeah. It, yeah. So, are as horrific to consider. But. Right, right. So do you feel any differently now? So it's January 2020, late January yeah. 2021. Joe Biden is president. Kamala Harris is vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the first ever women uh, uh, secretary of treasury. This yeah, there's it's been a like a historic month of firsts, dude. Like yeah. the, the number. I, I loved our our text stream with David Rowney. Unfuck this, unfuck Un- this. I'm yeah. like the unfucking <laughs> has arrived. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. The 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 David Rowney text stream has been keeping my head kind of screwed yeah. on for like the last week. But no, it does. It 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 does feel a little. I feel if I watch this now, that wouldn't be showing through quite as much. But I think the fact that that it was has to be considered though i feel th- talking about the movie now i'm reliving it in my head 
Mm-hmm. And I can the difference for me is watching it in 2020. And again, I didn't make this connection at the time, but like just a few months ago, that that milking room really fucked with me. And maybe some of that was the fear that this was prescient rather mm-hmm. than than fanciful, you yeah. know? And in a weird way now, it feels a little less likely. So it I can kind of breathe and take it as a warning rather than a prophecy. Exactly. Exactly. That was my thought I was just having. It is now shifted back to cautionary and not so much uh, prophetic, right? Right. So, Um, Would you – okay, I watched a movie last night, Carl, and this – bizarrely, it works – it kind of works with this movie. There's a – did you ever see a movie called Insomnia? It was Stellan Skarsgård, 1997. Oh, not not that one. I saw the one with Robin Williams and Al Pacino. Different Insomnia. Yes. Okay. So there's a – it's on Criterion Channel. That's where Bird and I watched it. 1997. It's called Insomnia. It's Nordic Noir. Um, Mm. It's about a Swedish detective up in Norway. I had never seen editing like that before. It's it's different than this kind of editing, but it uses some similar tricks. So in that movie, it would be a it'd be a steady one continuous shot. So we're like following a camera, right? And it'd be Stellan Skarsgård on screen, and he would look right, and the camera would pan right with his look, and then Stellan Skarsgård would walk across the screen in the opposite direction at the end of the hall. Mm. And there was a lot of that where they're using like hidden edits and cutting on motion. To like move actors around in a way that seems dreamlike and kind of strange, and it used a lot of quick cutting, and I thought that was really effective. Um, that was really just my way to tell people to go watch 97's Insomnia. It's really yeah, good. Fair enough. Done. I love the quick cut editing in this, and that opening scene is not the first, is not the only time that we get overclocked footage. When anytime one of the War Boys sprays that chrome shit on their teeth, they I think what they it might not even be overclocking. What they might be doing is there's another technique you can use during fight scenes. Right before the punch lands, you clip one between like one and three frames. And that will like jump the fist. It makes it it makes the impact look more impactful because that last little bit like kind of jumps. Makes sense. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe what they're doing is going in and cutting like every third frame or something or so it almost is a little more right. chopped in like furia not furious Fur- it's kind so, of it's so furiosa but like the the only um the only word i could come up with was frenetic there you it go seemed... that was the f word i was looking for <laughs> but it, it the the just the editing has so much energy or, and provides so much energy to this film we d- we do do sometimes like long sitting shots where we'll be talking, but that's usually when there's no chase happening. During the chase sequences, this is cut like this is cut using all the best tricks of 90s action flicks and none of the stupid tricks from 90s action flicks. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, because I feel like in those movies, they want you to be aware of how clever they are. In this one, they're just being clever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're not being they're not being flashy. They're yes. being clever, and that cleverness comes across less as cleverness and more as genius because exactly. it's so. I feel like George Miller, who also directed Happy Feet, by the way, like <laughs> that was that weird. Dude, he has the weirdest IMDb I've ever seen. It's like Mad Max, Road Warrior, Happy Feet, 
commercial for salt. You know, like he just does like weird projects that aren't Mad Max, but then he does the Mad Max movies. From well, time to you, time. I mean, you know how important it is to have balance in life. I mean, if you went fucking deep on three Mad Max movies, you're going to make a movie about dancing penguins, dude. I mean, right. You got to take a breath. You got to breath breathe, for sure. man. I, okay. Touche. You know what? Like his IMDb makes sense now. It's like, all right. I cannot live in the apocalypse anymore. I got to, <laughs> yeah. what? The, but what? he's still, but he's still like out in some barren wasteland where like, oh yeah, he does kind of yeah. like the old wastelands, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, yeah. I mean, the penguins are real cute and everything, but that's a frozen wasteland, bud. Yeah, he's like, I got to get out of, out of the desert and into the tundra. The exactly. George Miller story. <laughs> what? What the fuck? That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a thesis. Hmm. There's a thesis. <laughs> I'm not going to write it, but someone out there can. Nor I. Listener, send us your uh, uh, your comparison paper. Mad Max Fury Road. Happy feet. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if somebody if somebody emails us at measuringflixpodcast at gmail dot com yeah. with that thesis, yeah. we'll have you on the show as a special guest. Yeah, we'll Skype you in, and you can explain <laughs> you can explain uh, your thesis to us. We might even we might even read your paper if it's like well written and fairly short. So if you want to do a comparison of Fury Road and Happy Feet and really blow in us away four, in under four pages. Okay, yeah, that's a good. We'll give them a word count. Yeah, we'll keep them under four pages. Um, and send those to measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. Good good thinking, Carl. Let's make I, them generate some content. Get more interactive with their audience. <laughs> um, d- oh, dude. I, most of my notes are just like noting the little details that I think yeah. really enrich the world. One of my favorites is that the gas pedal of the war rig is a shoe store shoe sizer. Yep. Fucking- Every time I see it, I'm just like, that is fucking brilliant. Yep. <laughs> it's just... It's such a small thing. It is, and it's the the whole movie is peppered with shit like that. Yeah, yeah. So you can watch this movie a thousand times and pick out a thousand new things to go. Oh my god, that's so fucking clever. Right. I mean, the first the first or second time you watch this, one of the things that's going to just knock your socks off is the skeleton hand painted on the door, because Furiosa is missing her left arm. Yep. So when she's driving the war rig, sometimes she'll like she'll have her arm either on or off, but like that it's like how um uh like how aces would paint planes on the side of their thing like this is her or or like um like the old tiger pilots in world war ii would paint like fangs and shit on the front of their tigers this is her fucking war rig because she's got basically like a mechanical skeleton left arm her tag on it absolutely yeah man this is this is her pirate flag it's just on her door you know because the fact that it's that it's the arm. Yeah, it's dude. so fucking clever. And it kind of feels like OG trucker, too. If you've ever seen a really yes, it does. like decked out truck, you know? I mean, I've seen Over the Top starring Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Just shouting out every movie we've watched. I, I dude, know. 1962, The Manchurian Candidate with fucking Frank Sinatra. Oh, my God, is that movie good, Carl? movies just just randomly throwing out a movie well you throw out a movie i'm throwing out a movie dude it had a truck it had a truck in it Um, over the top he's a truck driver he's uh, got the old beater truck and he's got his he's got his workout thing in there so he can work out his right arm while he's driving ah there's no trucks in manchurian candidate it's just a great movie see i had a connection shit shit you're you're talking about spy thrillers starring angela lansbury that's why because fucking it's the murder she wrote connection connection. (laughs) 
Better you want a meat pie. I don't know. Maybe like. Angela Lansbury's best movie too. Like fucking Manchurian Candidate. So good. Um, these these action sequences are unbelievable. Guitar Man. Okay, so the sequence when they're driving into we talked we talked a little bit about the the sandstorm and how they they go to that digital map painting and I think that they are trying to catch the the reason I say digital map painting is because I don't think they're trying to make that look like mm. reality you know what I mean I don't think they're yeah. trying to convince us that there's a giant real sandstorm because it looks like a map painting it looks like a Frank Frazetta covers background you know like it looks like art because I think that that moment in this movie to George Miller is art. Just the scale of the fucking thing. Like, when he envisioned that in his head, when he looked at the storyboard, you almost get the sense that he looked at, like, a watercolor mock-up of what it would look like. And he was like, make it look like that. And they're like, oh, okay, like a CG real version of that. And he goes, no, no, no. No, like that. Make it look like that. You know what I mean? And, again, like, one of the things, one of the things that, that, gives this movie its propulsion because this is we this is one of those movies where seriously this is pedal to the metal the whole time and it never becomes ponderous when we get to that bit in the middle you and i can talk about it but the action sequences you never get tired of them there's never a moment where you're like okay this chase let's get can we get to some dialogue can we get because it's all new it's not just chase chase ram the quarter panel swerve off the road right. chase pit chase maneuver, ram the quarter. maneuver yeah no this is like there are there are unique clever fucking aerobatic aerobatic i said it it's a goddamn <laughs> word um, acrobatic ac- aromatics <laughs> there's there's aromatic acrobatic aerosolized like I mean there is actually aerosolized manic energy mm-hmm. in this every time they spray their the war boys spray their teeth with chrome paint yeah but every every moment of every chase has a beginning middle and end there is story in the action right and that's why it never be, seems ponderous there's a reason why all of these things are happening in the order that they're happening and with the amount of energy that's happening there's they're all there's always small story arcs happening each moment of the of the chase what do you think of this comparison i think this movie is sort of the the soul sister or whatever you want to say an analogous movie would be john wick Mm -hmm. because the john wick specifically the fight scenes because the john wick fight sequences are long and very intricate but they never get boring because because of what you're saying here, they weave in story into the fight. The fight moves the plot forward. It's not just, here's the plot, time for a fight, back to the plot. The plot right. continues in the fight, kind of. And also, yeah. in John Wick, like in this movie, I feel like the action sequences break new ground for that kind of action sequence. The John Wick fight sequences are unlike any fight sequences you've ever seen. Because they're super realistic. Yeah. But not at the same time. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Right. It's like if John, if you gave John Woo like 20 more years to dial up his realism, but maintain the flavor of his like style. style. I feel like George Miller's doing that here where you're watching a car chase, but it's, it is unlike a car chase you've ever seen. And it's a car chase that's weaving in acrobatics. It's weaving in, there's, they're weaving in score and music into a car chase where sometimes when the when the the rig with the guitar guy gets hit or shot 
The score fucks up. Yeah, he's up. on and he's on bungee too, so it's all fucking and the score fucks up. Yeah, so like wild. he'll he'll like screw up the guitar and you hear the drummers miss a beat because the truck they're driving on has just been struck by like automatic weapons fire or like yes. a bomb or something. You know, like I've never seen that before. I've never seen that since. Like this is these action sequences are not anything you've ever seen. To throw to throw another movie reference in there, yeah, we yeah. haven't seen anything like it since Lethal Weapon Two. When we get that Rube Goldberg weird crash that ends up with a surfboard in someone's face, I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, like that's how you get. Okay, that's a memorable moment in Lethal Weapon Two. Yes, this movie is like if you only all of those, yeah, only like got those. Yes. If you only had memorable moments and you strung them all together into one giant one and one hour forty five minute long fucking car chase across the desert and that's why this movie is so outstanding man um manic is a great word for this movie yes one of the things that i think maintains the momentum like i was saying is the manic performances of about half the cast because our heroes are calm cool collect right yes Max is basically like nonverbal. You know, we get I mean, he's barely awake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, he's he's barely vocalized. Let's let briefly let's awake. let's touch on this because you were talking about how you would have liked to see Mel Gibson. Yeah. What do you like Tom Hardy's performance in this? Do you think I do? I don't want to take anything away from his Mad Max, but sure. I think you know recasting is something fun to do in your brain, yeah, and especially definitely. when you talk about movies. Um, I was going to say for a living, wouldn't that be nice? But, um, <laughs> we're but living I in think, a box if that's where but we're, I think <laughs> if we're, if we're going to actually extend the timeline to this is now 20 years or so past, I think it would have been really interesting to have a Mad Max that isn't in his peak physical. Cause Tom Hardy, it looked, he's fucking fit. He's pretty right? fit. And he's, he's a pretty little, fit. He's a little and young he's, too. He's if, a little younger. Right. Yeah. And he looks like he could bite the fucking head off of any of these war boys but you put a slightly overweight maybe fucking really grizzled fucking mel gibson in this role but he's still that batman tucking the fat into his suit like right right that gives me a whole other like like a do a like a logan go do like like a Logan. absolutely and i think that had we had we got that it's hard to say because we'll never know sure but i feel like this movie would have it, it would have elevated elevated this film even more for me to where it already is in the you know it's up there i I was when i when you first said that at the beginning of the episode i was a little skeptical but now gone going a little deeper i can totally see it i think it does change the tone of the movie though a bunch it becomes absolutely it becomes less of like a well you can't you can't have it become about furiosa if it's not if if it's mel gibson it's going to be hit about his his final story arc and being able to forgive himself for all the people he's lost along the way and wasn't able to protect. We still get that here with it being Tom Hardy, but it doesn't, it doesn't weigh on us as much because it isn't the same face that we're familiar with. We're aware of his past, but if you're seeing Mel Gibson in that role, it's all coming back and it doesn't, it can't become not about him. But because, because it is someone different, in yeah. same character, different person, we are able to divorce ourselves from him enough to be engaged with Furiosa in the way that we end up being in this particular film. Do you think that? So, that's actually something else I wanted to bring up. One of there was a there was kind of a stink around this movie when it first came out. I'm sure you're yeah. It's, and I was um, I was looking forward to when we can talk about this. Because Let's talk it was about something it. That, 
let's talk about that pets me off like me too greatly me too and i i was hoping we could dig into it a little bit and sort of look at it look at it objectively and then look at it cool. emotionally so but, just like just like driving through the desert my i'm i have like no more spit left in my throat so if we can pause for a moment while i get some water most definitely and another do you, beverage do you want me to well how about i tell listeners a little bit about what the kerfluffle was and do you, yeah sure will that be yep, quick go enough? Ahead. all right keep on going yep so when this movie first came out there was um a lot of static that that came at it for making ostensibly making the focus of the movie Furiosa rather than Max. And if you watch the movie, I think that's actually a, a, a fair assessment. I think Furiosa is more the protagonist or more the main character than Max is. So a lot of this static, it, it wasn't necessarily just the general public that was going after the movie for that, although there was some of that. Most of the the chatter came from, and this is going to sound crazy, but this is 2015. We didn't know about these people necessarily yet, but a lot of that um, came from men's rights groups. Um, So there was like this website that came out called like Return of Kings. It was an early men's rights activist group, which is just... (laughs) nonsense thing to say even in, even in i can't believe we're still talking about it in 2021 i remember this was the first time that i'd ever heard of them um in 2015 was was all these uh like you know like oh we we need to make men masculine again and this is oh, right this is a mad max movie not a furiosa movie and well what mad what's max there for to hold furiosa's purse and like there was a lot of complaints that mm-hmm. max wasn't given enough focus in the film and furiosa became the focus of the movie and well that's what the focus of the movie is though max yeah. <laughs> well which max me max or max? you max max Sorry. max <laughs> mad max, max. You're, you max not mad max <laughs> gotcha, so you gotcha. sometimes i know i'm like mad. today i'm a little bit mad max to be honest um and dude this made me very mad max when i heard yeah. this like so do you remember what your initial response to this was in back when it came out because this actually made like news and stuff it sure did so um i actually didn't get a chance to see this when it came out in theaters i only heard the conversations because i was i was a bar fly back in 2015 when i was living in baltimore like go to work close the bars down so you know friends would get come to the bar after the movie and have this conversation about how mad max is bullshit because it's mad furiosa and you know he 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 doesn't have any he doesn't do anything it's all about her and and this is bullshit and blah 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 and i was like well, well actually that sounds really fucking interesting like do we really need a fourth one that's just about this guy that sounds cool i want to see it and so right. we finally rented it and i had that certain expectation and i was like all right well maybe we'll try it out and then what i at the end of the movie, I was just like, this is, uh, what the fuck are people talking about? This is incredible. Like, <laughs> you short-sighted fucking ignoramuses. And what I the what I was thinking about is, like, people can't, some people, they can't have two things going on at the same time and be okay with it. It either has to be a Mad Max movie or a Furiosa movie. Right? You can't okay, possibly yeah. be both, right? My, yeah. um, well, no, it certainly can be. And it still is a Mad Max movie. Right. I mean, it, it totally is. <laughs> right? He's, so he's our opening character. He has, I would say that Ma- this Max has a full arc. He has an absolutely yes, full arc. He has the most complete arc of all of them, I would say. Definitely. Because he actually, he actually gets some sort of resolution at the end. 
Right. He where he did the good thing, and the person that he was there to be sort of help protect is alive at the end of the fucking movie. Right. Like, and I this this movie I think states its thesis, and its thesis isn't necessarily about resolution; it's about redemption. Mm-hmm. They keep using that word. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, some kind of redemption, and I think it's it's a gr- I think resolution's a good word too because I think that Max is the only character who gets resolution. Yeah, he is. He gets redemption and resolution, whereas all of the rest of the protagonists just get some kind of redemption. But yes. their stories are not resolved. Their stories are going to move forward. I feel like. Now, I know that they've announced Mad Max 5, and obviously I'm fucking stoked for it. It's George oh, yeah. Miller. I think Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron are both signed back on for it. Um, but I feel like I would be satisfied with this as a final entry into mm-hmm. the Mad Max universe. I don't say, I'm not saying I want this to be the last one, but what I'm saying is if they never made another one, I would feel A-O-fucking-K about this being the button on top. You know well, you get I mean? the Shane ending here. I mean, he fucking walks off into the sunset. He disappears amongst the crowd. It's just like. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to. I don't know why. Beautiful. I don't know why, dude, but calling that the Shane ending, you just got tears in my eyes. <laughs> that's fucking gorgeous, man. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Max has been fighting for so long in this world, in this desert, in this hellscape, and he finally did it you know he got the good people back to where they needed to be he just he saved this whole culture and civilization he wiped out all of the other warlords so he essentially yeah i think it's so fucking perfect and poetic and beautiful the fact that he is only able to find his resolution and redemption by saving someone with blood like with his own blood he is able to save furiosa the thing that he has taken away from so many others is the thing that is is able to give him some sort of salvation. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's one of the things in this movie that I found so beautiful because how many action movies have we watched, man? Like <laughs> a million. How many how many good guys have we seen put how many bad guys in the ground? It's all we watch. Yep. We just yep. like look and and again, not even remotely a criticism. We said it when we talked mm. about John Wick. I love hyper violent movies. I have no Me problem too. with violence in film. I enjoy it greatly. But there is something about watching a hero save a life rather yep. than it's pretty easy to pull a trigger and drop a body and then they hit the sand and dude, I'm in the crowd going, yeah. But to look at what it takes Max to save Furiosa, and it is no less gruesome. In fact, saving her life is more gruesome than any act of violence that we've yet seen. It is not hard for our heroes to kill at all. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. actually, one of the women who are among the many mothers points that out. You know, she just goes, I don't want to have to snap anyone. She snap him in the medulla, you know, shoot him in the back of the head. She goes, I don't want to have to snap anyone. She wants to plant her plant these seeds and let them grow. The but, seeds, yeah. But what I love is the hardest thing. I would I would argue that the hardest thing that anyone does in this movie is when Max saves Furiosa's life. You know, and I think that's kind of part of the thesis of this film is like, who killed the world? It's really easy. To push the red button and nuke your enemies off the face of the planet, and sorry, I'm turning into Dan Carlin, but like, no, that's right. But like, it, it's how hard is it to wreak 
to wreak war upon a people and to to execute 50,000, 70,000. Ancient armies could wipe mm-hmm. out 70,000 people in a day by hand. Hannibal's Hannibal's big victory against the Roman army in the in the Second Punic Wars at, I I can't remember it's the it was the second of his two famous battles. He killed s- up to 70,000 Roman soldiers in one yeah. day by hand. That is not a difficult thing to do, but look how hard it is to save one life. My god, it's well, you know, it's just like And it's, how worthwhile. Uh, yeah. Because when they get What's back yeah. when, when they get back, sh- they have a leader now. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that Exactly. It's what a beautiful moment, man. That moment in that cab. And also there's there's a moment in this movie that's always kind of struck me as strange. Um oh by the way, I have a I have a note here. This movie deserves all 6 of its Oscars. So listener, if you think that only Carl and I are like huge fans of this, no no no. <laughs> nope. The Academy fucking loved this too. This movie was it's outstanding. It's a truly outstanding film. But there's a moment in this movie that always hits me weird and I never quite know how to read it and I'm never quite sure if it's good or not. It's the only moment in this movie where I'm like I can't tell because part on different watchings I'll watch it and I'm like that just read weird to me or felt it felt like it hit strange and then other times I'll watch it and I'll be like that's the only way you can say that line nailed mm. it perfect and it's right after Max saves Furiosa. He like I I love the 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 delivery of I am so sorry right before he pops the knife in to, God damn it, yes. to reinflate her collapsed <laughs> lung like the way that he says it and he won't look at her too like nope. dude this is this is this that's why I think that this next bit is actually good and I'm just not can't get my head around it because this is Tom Hardy at like peak subtle Tom Hardy the fact that he won't look at Furiosa as he apologizes for reinflating her lung cuz that's just insane pain but then when she's finally breathing again and they get the blood going into her and he's doing a transfusion because he's the universal donor and he tells her, her name, he tells her his name and he goes, Max, my name is Max. That is my name. Every time I watch this movie, I can't tell if that sequence of three lines is absolutely brilliant. Or if it could have used another pass. What's your take? This last watch, I liked it. This last watch, again, no, I was it, like, this, one, this, this stood out as, I, I think I think it's uh, perfect and brilliant, his performance of this. Because there's so much, uh, to me, I, I feel like there's so much going on with, this, with his performance in this moment where he is not only telling her what his name is because he hasn't told anyone his name in God knows how many years, but he's also remembering who he is. Max. I'm Max. Yeah. That's what, you know what I mean? He's not just telling her his name. He's remembering who he is. So that's, and I think that that plays in that performance. I think if we had another pass at it, that I wouldn't have, but I feel I, that's how that reads to me anyway. And I think it's brilliant. And I think it's perfect. Because it reads to me like he's not only telling her his name, he's also remembering who he is in that moment. That's, and that's what that's the performance he's giving us. I love that insight of, of that he's not only telling her his name, but he's remembering who he is. In a way, man, that is Max's redemption right there. Yeah, it is. It's, it happens right there in that moment while his blood is flowing, flowing into Furiosa. Right. He's like, he's reclaiming 
his capital S Humanity. himself. Yeah. And his, his, yeah. Do you think that in a way this is sort of um, that this moment of him saying his name? Because this whole movie he's been blood bag. Yep. Actually, that's I'm pretty sure that's what Furiosa calls him for most of it, too. Oh, no, yeah. Well, yeah. She calls him fool. You know, <laughs> you know, like when I yell fool run or whatever. Um, but do you think this is kind of like Sergio Leone's man with no name? Yeah, it is. It, it would. Yeah, it would be. So that's the only issue I do take with it a little bit. But then again, that's why it stands out so much is because we never know the man with no name. Even the good, the bad, and the ugly, the fourth movie that wasn't supposed to happen, where you were expecting to hear his name. We don't hear his name. He's not like John, John Smith. Wait, is it doesn't. It, isn't the good, the bad, and the ugly the third film? Is it a, Fistful of oh, I'm Dollars? Sorry, third, I'm sorry, I meant third one. Yeah, yeah. It's Fistful of Dollars, a few dollars more than the good, the bad, and the ugly. The third movie that wasn't supposed to happen, right. blah, 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 right. whatever. So, um, but, and this is just like uh, the, um, God, that movie's been remade so many times there's another kurosawa fucking movie right the sure. <laughs> yojimbo where yes, he has yes. the two <laughs> it's basically yojimbo yeah um but no like uh, and there's uh, clint eastwood did a lot of movies like this my favorite clint eastwood man with no name movie is high plains drifter because it's vaguely supernatural <laughs> but like well yeah he's a ghost he's a ghost time. yeah <laughs> spoilers, spoilers carl <laughs> But um, people are following along right now. Where I watch this movie, oh, good to me. I, oh, oh, High Plains Drifter. What is that? The closer scratch through. Scratch that, that, one out. that one Sorry, yeah. Spoilers on a movie from like 1961 or something. Yeah, good point. If you haven't fucking <laughs> Guys, seen it yet, same on that. you. Go watch High Plains Drifter. Jesus, it's really good. Um, but you know, okay, I'm gonna try and link two ideas that might not link. So go with me on this ride. You were talking earlier about when Max gives Furiosa the nod as she's rising up to her place and maybe mm-hmm. like, dude, like, tell me it's not the end of, like, the ring cycle, you know? Like, right. triumphant fucking bassoons and shit that are rising <laughs> into the sky. It's fucking gorgeous, you know? The... <laughs> but um, you said that was the Shane ending where he's yeah. he's done his part and his type of man is no longer needed, right? I have a different look at this all of a sudden. He, When he names himself and gives his name to Furiosa, I feel like Max has been gone so long for, from society, from civilization, from mankind, that he has ceased to be a person. Mm. And by calling himself Max and renaming himself, he's rejoined humanity. Oh yeah. So we end up with oh, yeah. with Max not necessarily riding away into the sunset like a lone hero. He's becoming a part of, of the crowd. Humanity again. Yeah, he re- f- he rejoins civilization. He rejoins the people. He doesn't have to wander anymore because like you said in these previous 3 films We've got like post-apocalyptic. There's not really. T- I mean, Mad Max. There's still towns and cities, but shit's falling apart. But right. In- it's the very end of that. That's that. We're towards. We're before the bad happens. We're pre-apocalyptic in the first. Right. Time. I mean, shit's still fucked. Bad. But yeah. But it's. But it's not like all the way to the ground. But like you're right. You get little like tent cities or whatever in Road Warrior or like desert communities. It's like Waterworld, but in yep. the desert. And then you've got a little bit more. You've got like early like kind of maybe like celtic or gaulish tribes and villages there's some entertainment there's some hierarchical stuff but there's no need for him to wander anymore in fury road because there are established 
nation states or city mm-hmm. states, if you want. We've got Bullet Town, you've got the gas farm, and the warlords there, by the way, died on this road, which means that in just this run, just in fleeing their fate, but in fleeing their subjugation, and then turning around and facing their problems head on, they wiped out all their problems. They freed mm-hmm. multiple enslaved peoples just on this one run out to nowhere. And when they return, they've freed the masses. We can re-enter some sort of society in whatever form it's going to take. Obviously, the world is kind of a blasted wasteland, but there are oases there. And life has reestablished itself, and civilization has reestablished itself. This is the human race. This is what the world looks like now. And I feel like at the end of this movie, what we have is Max finally ceasing his wanderings. And just simply rejoining the world Mm -hmm. which is kind of more beautiful than riding off into the sunset to be forgotten he just lives out the rest of his life you know i I feel like i like that one more yeah yeah it it feels more it feels kind of beautiful and it feels yeah for and for him it feels right and you know what's really this is why I love this podcast, man, because I've never thought of this movie in these terms before. This is an action movie through and through. <laughs> yep. You know, like, but when you really start to pick the pick the threads apart and really look at the pattern, you know, or, or really look at the characters or really look at the moments and you don't get lost. You have to watch this movie like eight times just to get the fucking oh, it's roar of no- the V8s. The first two times it's noise, baby. Yeah. You're just along for the ride. It's like, step in. <laughs> wipe the drool off your face a couple of times you'll be good right right oh and you mentioned that you hadn't seen this in theaters you saw it on dvd um saw it on on blu-ray yeah i bought the blue i bought the blu-ray sight unseen when it was on sale at a local like movie shop yeah i was buying doctor who episodes i'm like oh mad max for 15 bucks on blu-ray i'll snag it bird and i bought it the day it came out on blu-ray but we had uh my dad was up or my parents were up and they were like hey we want to go see a movie we got to go my dad's like big sci-fi fan he's like we got to go see this new mad max i'm like i've only seen at that point I think I'd only seen Road Warrior. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go watch it. And guess how I got to see that movie, bro, in IMAX. Fuck you, man. Oh, my <laughs> God, Carl. Can you just, baby, just try. You be in my brain for a second. See with yep. my eyes. Yep. Hear with my ears, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> my my, uh, my best friend in Baltimore, Brad. Yeah, uh, yeah. He got to see it in one of the uh, theaters out there that uh, has, like, the motion seats with, the, like, the fucking oh! rumblies and and everyone has their own 7.1 surround. Oh like, my god, lucky fucker! So like, he was like, he was walking funny for like two days. <laughs> he was like, man, they really fucking rocked my shit in that movie theater for like an hour and thirty five minutes. My asshole is like wide open. I don't I can't... even say that. I'm I'm speaking for him. Yes, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but, his, I'm but sure no, his was, asshole's fine. Honestly, totally fine. <laughs> I didn't I didn't give a last name, so it's fine. right, right. No, but yeah, man. Like, so this movie was so good. In IMAX, that the ne- the next showing in 3D in IMAX saw that too. I watched yep. it twice in one day, both in IMAX, dude. It was like I was just throwing fucking money at this theater because IMAX tickets are at, at that time the 3D. I ones love were a like movie when bucks. it grabs you like that that you're willing to fucking shell out almost a hundred dollars in a weekend to like just see it, just burn keep... it like four times. Hell yeah! There's not many, but this I is... did that with Rogue One was the last one that I saw five times in one weekend God and damn. paid for it every time. Such a good movie though. I saw that one <laughs> twice over the course of its whole run. Not 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 that many times in a week. What's your really quick sidebar? What's your what is the yeah. what's your number one? 
what is the number one film? What what movie have you seen the most times in theaters during its original? Yeah, during its, during its original run. Honestly, Titanic. How really? How many times did you see Titanic? I saw it fifteen times in the theater. Fifteen. Fifteen times. Shit, dude. Okay, so you you and I are tied for most times seeing a movie. Mine was Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring. Fifteen times. Yep. I wasn't bored. Any of the, the, the like the fourteenth or fifteenth time, I was like, "Phew, I just want to get to the boat scene." The I just get, get let's get to the iceberg. But like <laughs> the other, I mean, just, come on, I love that. I was in the military at the time. Like it was one of those movies that just like grabbed me at the right time. Watching it now, it hasn't aged well for me. But sure, yeah, Titanic. I saw that movie fifteen times in the theater. <laughs> I think Force Awakens on watch number five. That middle bit when they go and see, you know, E.T. or Nana or whatever her name is. Right. She's telling them all about the Force, and that's just like 20 minutes of boring shit. Oh, Maz Katana? Yeah. Yeah, like, dude. I'm sleeping now. We got to get that bit out of that movie because it's fucking banging until then. And then it's, and then it's, no, oh, yep. my God, they're shooting Use, blasters again. Tone. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's probably Rogue, I think Rogue One's probably second at five. Rogue One? Coming from 15, Sec- 15 yeah, to 15 five. five. Yeah, that's probably about for me, too. Speaking of Snooze Town, I think now would be a good time to talk about the... Well, we're all, let's get to them getting to the green place, because after that, the movie's basically over. Because it's a pretty quick yeah. run back home. Um, it is. Uh, unbelievable choreography in the first Max Furiosa fight scene. Yeah, that's pretty fucking crazy. There are so many guns in that cap. Now I'm just reading you notes really quick. <laughs> yep, no worries. Uh, there's about... I think fifty guns in the cab, about five hundred. If, they... if there if there's two, there's fifty. I mean, they <laughs> every and, there's a, and, a, and a knife in the gear shift too. So. And, yeah, I was gonna say. I think every piece of that truck doubles for some sort of either blade or shooting implement. <laughs> um, what did you? Okay, so let's so let's get to the bit in the mud where yeah. we, where we've reached the green place. I love how the green place. The palette that we see it in, because they drive through at night, this is such a clever way to use symbolism. The green place, warm, a color of growth and verdance, is now blue, entirely blue and deep blue. Um, We see weird men on stilts wearing Mm -hmm. essentially like... um, Middle Ages era plague masks, those like weird plague doctor masks, which in 2020, by the way, I that was not lost on me. No, and I feel like I've said this term on the show before. Um, they're trompy. Tr- yes, you. They're very trompy. Like they don't look like they should exist. Yeah. In this weird, like some kind of weird, like the uh, itchy. Yeah, like, are you talking about, like, the, the eyeball hands guy in Pan's Labyrinth? Would he be yeah. trompy? It, it's, more, it's more like if your knees bend the other way and are walking around. Or, like, if you, uh, okay, like, Japanese horror characters where they kind yeah. of are, like, too jittery. And that like... be, that's very trompy. Gotcha, yeah, that's gotcha. Like, um, uh, Exorcist. Oh, the spider down walk down the stairs. Walk, that is... <gasps> The crown jewel of Trompy. Dude, yeah. Even in 2021, I can't think of one that beats it. That is such a great effect. Another practical stunt, by the way. Um, yep. So we get to the green place, but the green place is mud and nothing grows here. And it's being picked apart by scavenger birds. And I love, by the way, that the scavenger birds are people. 
Yes. There are humans. I don't know if you've read, God, I've, have you read The Talisman, Stephen King and Peter Straub? It's coming up. All right. Four so, books from now. <laughs> so this will, okay, four books from now? This is not spoilers then. It'll be a bit before you get there. There's a moment in there where they jump to what's called the territories. I think it's somehow tied to the Dark Tower universe, but I'm not positive. It, it, yes, and, and the stand and all that, so yeah. Okay, so in the territories, they have to take a train through like the Blasted Lands, and we realize that the Blasted Lands were a nuclear test site in New Mexico in the real world. Because the territories are kind of analogous to the real world, only yep. slightly smaller. So it's Dark Tower. Yeah. yeah so okay, good. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sure because I've never read any of the Dark Tower books, but and it's actually shame on you, Maxwell. I know. I know. Sorry, a, po- a, a, a plague upon my family, but um, no, actually, no, not this year, please. But um, but yeah. So they're going through like a nuclear irradiated wasteland desert, like exactly like they're doing in Mad Max. But as they get further and further out into the blasted lands and away from, like, the territory's outposts where there are still towns and people and shit, they don't stop running into people. But these people seem less human and more like they've reverted to some, like, weird animalistic beast state. They don't talk very well. They don't talk very well. They don't talk good. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, and they reminded – that reminded me of this so strongly. We see – we – in the the talisman we see like scavenger characters eating like mutated like five-headed you know foxes and shit and they're like eating raw meat and you're like what the fuck what what could reduce humanity to something like that and then you watch mad max and you're like when you get too oh. when you get too far away from civilization like you get out to where max has been living you get a whole lot less human real quick cuz there's less uh, yep. food out here and there's no help out here and there's no support and there's when we when we ultimately get to the the many mothers, just now I realized that there's kind of a weird, beautiful, poignant, sad message to this, which is, yes, these these women are not subject to the whims of warlords. They have escaped. How many times during this pandemic do you think like I'm just gonna go to the fucking woods and I'm gonna live in the yeah. woods away from civilization yeah. and yeah. no one's gonna mess with me, right? But now I gotta hunt. Now it's cold. There's not a lot now of food. And, you know, there's no electricity and there's no, the biggest thing though, especially post 2020 here going into 2021, where let's be real, nothing has changed, but the leadership, which that is a big change. I'm not taking anything away from it, but (laughs) look, man, we're still under like pretty severe pandemic situation here. As of the time of this recording, the UK is basically doing an in real time vaccine test. They're doing a medical experiment on their population because this new strain of COVID is so fucking transmissible and and slightly more deadly than the previous one. They have the highest per capita death rate in the world. That's That's fucking wild, man. England. We're talking about England, man. I mean, I don't know if it's called England anymore. Britain? What's the name? (laughs) I know, man. It's so squirrely. That's Dave Brownie, but... Yeah, David, why aren't you on this fucking podcast? But, um, no, (laughs) just kidding. Um, But, yeah, like... Where we're at right now, you know, like we're st- we're under isolating conditions and we are all kind of away from civilization. And I don't know about mm-hmm. you, man, but some chunks of this like time in isolation has been pretty fucking hard. Yep. And I think that we see that with the many mothers when we get there. Like, yeah, th- is this what freedom looks like? I- we're not going to go live in your violent world. We're going to go live out here in the in the desert with a naked woman as a trap to try and 
they're bandits basically, right? Yeah. Like when yep, they, they when they pull up and Max goes, "That's bait." She, that's bait. Yeah, yeah. like th- we're gonna. <laughs> that was a meme of the year last year. I think was that that's bait. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but like that's how apropos. What a what a movie for the for the times, Carl. Exactly. But no, yeah, like there's a price to be paid to not to living outside of civilization yep. and with the many mothers and with Max, the character of Max. That's a high price tag, man. Look what it has done to these people. And I think that that's why the movie ends rather with them rather than having them reach some mecca, some some paradise that Oh yeah, civilization sucks, but if you just leave civilization, look. If you travel far enough away from your problems, then you will. Yeah. Right, dude. Like, what? When I first saw this movie, I could not believe that the plot was some people go somewhere and it sucks, so they go back. That's yep. the plot, bro. Yeah. But like, but that what an eloquent way that you just said that. You know, like if we just run far enough away from our problems, we'll find a solution. Um, if you ride forty days in that direction, you're not going to find anything but dirt. Yep. Max I've been there. I yes. Know. I've he ha- and he has been there. The last three movies are Max running away from civilization. And in this movie it's him melting back into it. You know, like you I think I think that when we meet him in the beginning of this movie, he's made the decision to kind of like self suicide in a way. He's gonna go back to where society is. I think he knows that he's gonna get fucking run into by by bandits and shit. I mean, and, he's been around long enough. He's not going to get shanghaied by a bunch of fucking... If that society is big enough as it is and has been around long enough, he knows they're there and he knows what he's doing. Right. He's been in the wastes for a long time. I, I think at the beginning of this movie, his grasp on reality strengthens throughout the movie. But in the yeah. beginning, the number of quick-cut flashes... By the way, the the flashing, like edit in like a little girl and her face turns into a demon's face and then it turns normal or like someone's head will melt or someone will scream Mm -hmm. and those quick cuts dude astonishingly good the only movie that i can think that does a quick cut weird interjected you know what i'm gonna say are you gonna say um an oliver stone film it's not an oliver stone film i was was gonna say mandy when he takes the bad acid and we like see the melting head and like the natural born killers again here sometime soon yeah yeah i haven't seen natural born killers since college but i'm kind of to be honest i'm a little leery of that movie it's pretty fucking nihilistic it daniela loves it she i thought that was gonna be a hard no for her we watched it like Three months ago, yeah. she's like, "Oh, she's like, dude, that movie is fucking great." It is. It's such a good movie, but it's one of those ones that when I'm done, it leaves me in a weird mood for a couple days. Oh yeah, you, you know? feel kind of, kind of oily. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be like, okay, not everything is worthless. The world yeah. is not a pile of shit to be shot to pieces, you know, to a cool soundtrack. Um, although Robert Downey Jr. like popping up and just blowing the doors <laughs> off the motherfucker at the end, diving guile. <laughs> a good movie um yeah but like the child's aisle <laughs> just do it when he gets when they have, yeah. when they're gonna kill him at the end um oh and he's australian so it works perfectly as a segue back into mad max possibly the only american actor who consistently does an amazing australian accent he does it yes. in tropic thunder too and just yeah. nails it 
I can't do one. Can you? They're fucking No, hard. I just tried. You just heard my right. best yeah, one, it's... and it was doing an impression of someone doing a good version of an Australian accent. An Australian I accent. I can't do it on my own. I have to quote Robert Downey Jr. I feel like the only word that I get even close on is Australian. When you go Australian. Australian. Cause you got, Australian. Yeah, you give it the little alien. The little alien at the end. Australian. <laughs> but, dude. Any more words than that, and I'm going to be yeah. Irish or Russian in, like, oh, yeah, I guess. a sentence. Yep. So, okay, use of – now I'm just really wrapping up notes. But um, yep. when we get to that green place and they get mired in the mud, and I love that Nux doesn't know what a tree is. I'll, I'll take the winch and I'll wrap it around the uh, – What is he, he describes it brilliantly. It's been too long since I saw the movie to pull it directly from my head. Oh, but I like, have it here. It's called, like, a – he calls it, like – the the straight sticky thing or like the the he's trying to describe a tree having never seen a seen tree. a tree oh my god it's brilliant it's little shit like that like that's it, all throughout the movie it never stops this movie the internal logic is the correct term the internal logic of this movie is seamless mm-hmm. everybody obeys the rules everyone nobody knows more than they should yep people know less than we do often because of their circumstances it's really yeah man this is the master class on not only world building but how to drop your audience into that world definitely definitely um because some some filmmakers do one great but not the other yeah yeah you can you can uh, well david lynch's dune i think is an example of yeah. dropping us fully into the world but maybe yeah. not necessarily not giving quite us... creating it yeah yeah but when they're being chased by the guy from Bullet Town, he's the only one who can get through the mud because he's got tank treads on his vehicle. Right. Um, so while they're limping along this overheating war rig, pulling it by a winch, um, Nux is jogging ahead of it um, just to like, you know, like don't get stuck in the mud or he's, he's jogging ahead so they don't slip off the road. And Max takes like, a, I think he takes just like a kukri or something. He takes like a machete and a bag, and he goes. He paid three resources. He dropped it down. Second actions. Sorry. Yeah, dude, we've been playing Arkham Horror. You've had your kukri out recently. I like yep. knife better than kukri. I feel like me the... too. I'm, fi- I'm finding that kukri is a little overrated. It's going. Make... I, don't I don't like to use it again. I, I don't like to pay the, the action. I don't nope. like to use up the action nope. on the kukri. <laughs> <laughs> table talk. Arkham Horror table talk. But um, but so I love the little exchange between him and Furiosa, and she's like, well. What do you do if you? What do we do if you don't come back in time? Well, you keep moving. Yeah. And you you realize, and I think this comes across in Tom Hardy's performance because other actors, you could have given them that line, and you get, well, you keep moving. Keep moving. And and he really, and you really underscore how selfless I am being as an actor. Yep. Bring the camera in closer to my face. You know, like. <laughs> Exactly. I'm going to sell the shit out of this moment. Yeah, like, well, then Furiosa, clap a hand on her shoulder, plant a kiss on her, you know, or like whatever. Like, You keep going. Yeah, yeah. Never look, never look back, Furiosa. Right. <laughs> never look back. You know, like, we could have gotten one of those moments, but I love, I feel like this, we were just talking about how Nux not knowing what a tree is builds the world. I feel like be, living in a world so brutal for so long that the fact, the pos- the very real 90% possibility of your death does not elicit any emotional response from you any longer mm-hmm. at this point. That is not only building a world, 
but that is building a character. I feel like the people who complained that Tom Hardy doesn't have enough lines or, oh, it's about Furiosa, where's Max's arc? They're not paying attention to the subtlety of Tom Hardy's performance as Max yeah. in this movie because that... And they're not paying appropriate attention to Furiosa either right? and her part in this. I like, get, what I'm getting at is I don't think Max was, in fact, short-shrifted in this film. Oh, no, neither do I. Yeah, I, I think neither that, do I. I think his arc and his mountain to climb is just a, painted with a subtler brush. Absolutely. And a lot of the people who went to go and see a Mad Max movie or whatever, you know, they were looking for more in-your-face they were looking for a dude flick. They were looking for a car movie, and what they yeah. got instead was an operatic mythic masterpiece. Yes. And they weren't ready for a mythic masterpiece. They wanted their VAs. But that, that's what blows my mind, because this movie gives you that, too. Yes, this, it sure does. Dude, this movie is nothing but, like, burning, like, flames and explosions and roaring engines. And it's, it's one long electric guitar solo is the score. Like, what in the fuck do you want? And it had a woman in it, Max. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, fuck this movie. <laughs> right? Christ. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry, sorry, listener. It's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because this movie is so outstanding. This movie is truly exceptional. If we were doing this movie in a normal year, unfortunately, season three is weird. You guys yep. know what happened. The world happened. It's Shit's fucked up right now. If we were doing this in a normal year... This would be a very, very strong contender for Flick of the Year for me. I would say so. Like, that is, that's how good this motherfucker is. And I would put both Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron in the running for, like, best eye acting, both? best hand acting, yeah. best fucking acting, just, D like, ditto. Just straight all, up. Ditto, all three. Like, I'm almost happy that this year is screwed up because this would be in so many categories. It would, yep. get, it would get, like, sick, you know? It would just be like, all right, well, best actress, Charlize Theron, best actor, Matt Hardy, best eye Matt actor. Matt Hardy, the WWE. Matt Hardy, I do that more often than I like to admit. The Hardy Tom boys, Hardy. baby. Best eye acting. We gotta split between the two because Char I yeah. pick like <laughs> Charlize Theron's left eye and Tom Hardy's right eye. Right in eye. Mad Max Fury Road. Let's play the clip. Same clip. Every you too know, bad like, no one's smoking a cigarette because we'd have like everything covered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just need we need someone fucking smoking. Best of the breast. We got the milkers. I mean. Yeah, that's true. There you go. That's yeah. And actually having having that many boobs on display in one room, even if it didn't win, would definitely get the nod. For it sure. It would get a nod. That's yeah. a nomination for sure. I mean, we've done upsetting best of the breasts before. I think we did, I think one of ours, for Cemetery Man, that was a dead person. <laughs> well, yeah, for best dong, we had someone getting it ripped off in the last one, oh, too. I so. forgot about that. We showed it at the Quillen Filmies, too. Yeah, oh, my God, had, dude. We had to pause our Facebook live stream. I know. We were so irresponsible. I, I love how. I, love I had We had, like, the three, three of our guests, I don't think, have ever seen an R-rated movie. We were a little agog. <laughs> I know we're going through. I'm like, and Carl, do you have the castration clip queued up? And like, you can I see sure do. A couple of, <laughs> couple of faces on the couch were like, what, what kind of awards show is this? And we're like, and then, and here we go. And now she feeds it to dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what, 11 o'clock in the morning? People? Yeah, it was real early for dicks being cut off. <laughs> That's what you sign up for when you show up at the Cool and Filmies, folks. It's a dude that was oh my god, Carl. I know it's gonna be different and weird this year, um, but we are still planning on doing at least something, listener. I yep. dude, having now done one Quill and Filmies, 
that's that's under my skin, dude. I just want to do a Quillen, another like full blown Quillen filmies with people there and screenings happening. What about the universe again? One of these days, Max, we'll be doing it at the Bijou by the Bay. Dude, I believe it. I believe. I mean, I don't. Yeah, we need an after party then because I don't know if there could be as much drunken inebriation and marijuana at the Bijou as there was at the last Quillen film. There will be a second. We'll have an after party. Well, oh, we'll talk to you, the sidetracks. Maybe we'll do something at the uh, we'll pinball do, place. We'll, yeah. we'll do it like the Oscars where it's like yeah. you watch the Oscars. Everybody loves that. But then it's really about the after parties. Yeah, and... we do three hours at the Bijou and then the after parties. You're like, hey, hit us up for some pinball at the coin slot and then meet us for dancing and karaoke at, uh, at sidetracks for afters. Oh, I got this all planned out, man. Dude, I, it's Carl, I love you. Your plan is beautiful, dude. And, you know. It is it is when I'm talking with you that I most miss the world, to be honest. Yeah, me too, dude. No, no bullshit there. For real. Um, all right. So the use of off-screen violence. Max mm. jogs out into the night. This is one of it's the it's right after the moment where he's like, I'm, you know, like, well, you keep moving. And then he jogs off and Furiosa moves him forward. They keep going. We see some like explosions. We hear screaming. We hear gunfire, but it's all in the sh- in the fog, and it's flashes from far away. And in a weird way, I think that this scene. And then we see a figure coming back out of the fog, and it's minutes later, you know, fifteen minutes later, and there's a figure, a shambling figure, like heading towards us out of the fog. Furiosa raises her gun. Everyone's on edge. What in the fuck? We just saw a bunch of explosions. We heard gunfire, and all Max had was a machete. So we know that he's dead. And this is some. And then, oh, it's not though. It's Max, and he has got a shitload of guns and a whole shitload of ammunition. It's and one of my favorite pieces of action in the whole movie. We don't even fucking see it. I agree. I could not agree more. It's he is soaked in blood. He's what the. Fuck? Fuck. He it's... is splashed. It's like someone took a like a paintbrush, dunked it in a bucket, and then like whipped it at him. You know, like just wh- and he's fucking covered in blood. And he gets back, drops the gun. Uh, this is all the way around. We talked earlier about how every piece of this movie fits with every other piece. It is a monolith. We've been shouting out Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy, but we could just as easily have picked any single one of these actors. Absolutely. And Morton Joe, the guy from Gastown, the the Justice is Blind. We literally get some of De Valkyrie. We get some some Wagner as he's like firing those styres into the darkness. You know, like he pulls his fucking tooth out to load a pistol. God damn it. We get the weird jo- I'm so excited I'm spitting on the screen. Yep. Let me wipe your <laughs> let me wipe your forehead wipe off everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but like every one of these actors and these are big that's the ironic thing they strip tom hardy back to like subtle minimalism but every other character in here is a comic book villain mm-hmm. everyone is at 11 everyone is dialed up half the dialogue is screamed and, and it works and it works works thank you works. that's that's all you can say dude like none of it feels too big there, there is no such thing as too big in this movie that's how big this fucking movie I think is there, i think there could have been but they had the fucking a skill, talent, eye, fucking natural talent. This, I don't know. This may to be, like know what the difference is. Yeah, this may be the perfect time to bring. I brought this story up before, and I'll bring it up one more time since we're in the episode about this movie. This may be the perfect time to tell the Tom Hardy anecdote. 
when this movie was being shot, people were talking, would ask Tom Hardy about it. And Tom Hardy, in some of the press, not all of his interviews, but in some of his interviews, was pretty negative about this film. It took a really long time to shoot. And keep in mind, these all these comments are before it was done, before it was finished, yeah. before it was shot, or before it was cut and released. So he'd only had the experience of being on set and shooting it piecemeal over the course of like eight years. It took a really long time That's to make. Insane. I don't know if it was eight, but it was a long fucking time. And he was like, it seems goofy, like bullet town. And what do you mean? Like there's gi- there's guys with like giant bulbous noses and nipple rings and I'm like, what the fuck? You know, but then when he, he finally saw the finished picture, he actually like made a kind of a statement. And he was like, I have in the past spoken critically of this movie. And he's like, I now having seen it having seen what George Miller put together from the pieces that I was part of, he goes, I had no idea what his vision would ultimately be. And he says this, and he says it's absolutely brilliant. Wow. He completely sw- changed his tune. He's like the finished product is, I forgot like that's what a movie is. Right. And he's like, so, so close to it. You can't see. Right. Yeah. When yeah. you're, when you're in the thick of it, man, I can see how Immortan Joe or the guy from Gastown would be a little weird. You know, you're like, I really don't understand what you're aiming for here, man. Like, the action sequences seem pretty rocking, but, like, what the fuck is all this other shit? Milking room? Really? Yeah. But, like, at the end, when he looked, even Tom Hardy, when he looked at all this goof troop turned to 11 caricature comic book nonsense all together, he's like, oh, fuck, he made a masterpiece. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, like, it's the line between something like Dark City and and Ooh. yeah yeah you know it's like the line between that and like plan nine from outer space plan nine yeah. is not a masterpiece dark dark city maybe you know um i don't know I, when he gets back and he he get, puts that bucket under the spigot and he like pours some out and he's looking at it and he goes he goes uh, what what's this because he asked for water and they uh Oh God! Yeah, one of the women's like, "You're, you're, are you hurt? Where did they get you?" And he's like, "What?" And she goes, "You're bleeding." And Charlie's there, and it's not his blood. Not his blood. I love that he's not the one that says it, because that would be that that macho 1980s Jesse Ventura. I don't got time to bleed. Yes, he says it. Yeah, dude. This is this movie's so aware of the tropes of a macho action car it's not flick. My, it's not my blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're bleeding. No, I'm not. Splash, right. splash, splash, and then everyone goes, "Oh, he's so tough." But that's, but that's not this Max. Max doesn't posture anymore. Max has been in the desert for twenty-one years. He barely knows what it means to be a human being. He's capable of terrible things, and I like that George Miller doesn't make us look at the terrible things that Max is capable of. Yep. What we see instead is what he does with the violence that he has available to him, which yes. is help other people. You know, I, I I love this moment. I love the off-screen violence. It's like you said, this is my favorite, one of my favorite action sequences in this action movie, and there's no action. <laughs> nope. It's fully implied. Well, it's the best of, it's like the things that you don't see, right? That he's giving, that he's trusting us enough as his audience to be able to use our imaginations to put those pieces together. Right. Because he knows that what we can imagine is probably worse than what he can show us. It's, it's that classic Alfred Hitchcock mentality. If like 
let them think what's behind the door. Right. It's going to be worse than what I can show them is behind the door. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's every time you pull Michael Myers' mask off, we're always going to be let down because your imagination yeah. because the director's imagination has failed our imaginations. Absolutely. You know, like I love that. Speaking by the way, sp- I just remembered another f- kind of fun story from the making of this movie. How are we doing on time by the way? I know you have an out yeah. today. Yeah, she's going to be home here shortly and we're right. heading out. We'll we'll wrap it up. I'll skip the story. For those of you who want um who want to know a little bit more, look up some of the trivia about the organic mechanic. That actor, basically George Miller kind of let him go for it many times and some of the best stories I've ever read about making a movie are times when the actor playing the organic mechanic swung a little too hard for the fences. For example, no shit. Yeah, let's say like licking an old woman's armpit. During oh a scene. God. Yeah, dude, he fucking, he's the guy who, like, he takes the, he, uh, he, when he takes the little umbilical cord and spins it around and shoots it off like a rubber band. Yeah. That's all oh him. Oh, my God. The the choice to, like, because the baby's already dead, the choice to, like, slap the baby around like a slab of meat and, like, get kind of oh drooling God. on himself all the time. That's that actor just swinging. Just doing it. Yeah. Every Incredible. once in a while, though, he went a little too far even for, like, the grossest members of the of the B oh unit. Everyone liked him. He was really funny. Okay, um... So he sounds like the kind of guy that I want to sit next to during like lunchtime in the like dude for the sure. craft services. I'm like just casually sit down with my fucking lettuce wrapper or whatever. Like so, uh, I I can't remember how's which... your day going. <laughs> hey, you were I heard you were one time in Mad Max Fury Road. Maybe tell me every single story you have from that. <laughs> um, gives a great interview. So check that guy out. Um, I love really quick. I love that Nux. What he set out to get at the beginning of the movie was a glorious death on the Fury Road. Mm-hmm. What Nux ultimately gets in literally the other direction is a glorious death on the Fury Road. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that it's not even just symbolically from the other direction. He is literally literally going the other going way. Going the other way. Yeah. I fucking love that. Um, so let's let's wrap with with the one moment, the one sticky bit here. Sure. Yes. When they get to the land of many mothers and Furiosa finds out that they've passed the green place and there is no water and there is no growth and all that's left of these many mothers, these, you know, the, the tribes, the clan swaddle dog and all of that is gone. And she wanders up. She takes her arm off, which I love that she, she removes that artificial bit of herself. And just collapses down. You can imagine the stifling weight of just that that false arm. And then she mm-hmm. hits her knees. And we get that sweeping Williams-esque, Wagner-esque score designed to just tear our heart out. But it's not so all-encompassing that we can't hear her scream under it. And I love that the score sweeps over her scream but doesn't stifle it. And that they still give mm-hmm. her that moment of full wrenching despair I, I it's horrible it's horrible but it's epic and it's beautiful and now here's where you think that where you feel that the movie maybe loses a little traction but I, mm-hmm. and i i think that we get a nice sesora where we can sort of bring together the final plot elements kind of give our third act this to me is the whiff of death at the end of yeah. this of, of, of act 2.5 heading into the final the final turn so did it describe your feelings about this then okay so this is my feel i think that just in any film yeah that this 
the, it's, it's always this moment, the turn or the whiff of death or whatever it is. It's always, it's always the part where I feel like I'm safe to go have a pee or refill my popcorn. Gotcha. And that's, that's on me. And like, I am intelligent enough to watch <laughs> like a slow pace. I love uh, Steve McQueen and I love sure, sure. like Jim Jarmusch. Like I don't need it to be all like, fucking crazy right, but right, yeah. in an action movie when it does become more dramatic it's just it's just me and this was the same as it is in any other film of this kind of this is where okay. we're getting the the whiff of death the turn is about to happen i'm free to go pee real quick and get a refill on my soda because you know people are going to be talking for a bit talking i can come back and and i can very quickly catch up Okay, yeah, you know what, and I will give you, uh, so it's a personal preference sort of thing. I or think a... so. In a film like this where it is okay. just like balls to the wall, yeah. when the sister happens, I'm just like, I'm free to take a minute. Because there's no, nothing super crazy or grand or groundbreaking is going to happen here. And it doesn't here either. I agree, actually. You can very quickly get caught up as what's happening without hearing any of the dialogue spoken. I feel like much of what is done here, with the exception of of Max and Furiosa, because Max and Furiosa, Mm -hmm. their conversation does, in fact, directly impact the plot. Sure. I feel like a lot of the other dialogue, particularly between these new mothers, by the way, Mm -hmm. and, and this previous generation of mothers coming to meet, I feel like their talking to each other is primarily world building, character building or giving us sort of like a philosophical a a philosophical glance at what the the implications of ending up in a world like this might be right you know it's kind of talking to us the the viewer yeah once it feels a little bit pulpity is when i also kind of tune out too I can I can totally see that. I didn't personally feel that, but I can see where the pulpits are in these scenes. Yeah. I totally, totally see that. Um, so I like the sand bikes, and I like I like the Max. I like the fact that they actually set out on the journey before Max goes and gets them, rather than him talking them out of it, and we don't get that. I like they made their choice; he made his. Yeah. And it is literally down to the execution hour when he's like, you can see the moment when he decides that he doesn't want to keep running yeah. anymore. Because I, I honestly believe that his decision to go and try and convince them to go back the way they came isn't just about saving these people that he might owe something to. It's about saving himself. Absolutely. He's like, they're because they're doing what he's done. They're running from their problems. He's done this for three films. And yeah. it's wow it's where's it put him? It's put him here. No car, no friends, on a motorcycle. Knocked out, face down in the sand, buried in it. Yeah, and he goes, There's another way to do this. Yeah. And I'm gonna go and help them see that. And then then we get the end of the movie. They turn back around. One of my favorite shots though is just before he goes to chase after them. I think I think it's at this point. Yeah. It's when he's it's at some point when he's down, he's covered in sand and he's slowly lifts himself up the way it's shot his head slowly coming up out of the sand looks like a mountain giving birth to a giant oh it's that incredible yes that's a gorgeous shot it's right near the beginning of the movie actually. that is during the, yep it's after the sandstorm yeah that's right yep sorry my phone is blown oh, no worries. and it's a number that i don't know and i refuse to answer phone calls from people spam, i don't know spam 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 yeah i keep spam, getting those spam, hello click um, yeah. Do you have any more notes? I actually don't have any more notes I on don't. this. 
actually. I only had a half page of notes because I was just so busy watching it. But then when the, you know, there's eight weeks between watching the film and talking about it. Right. I wish I'd had more notes, but I think we, I think we got there in the end, though. I I think that we yeah yeah I think we did the film not its full justice. Obviously. I would have liked to, I would like to have chatted more about Shirley's Throne, but I wanted to pitch a fucking idea out to you that uh, her fucking overall like her IMDb page is pretty fucking impressive, and we might want to discuss swapping a month out in season four to do a Charlize Theron month. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. You are actually everything from from monster to more um, classical performances like The Devil's Advocate. Right. Like, there, there's some really fucking cool work being done there, and I don't, I don't want to, like... Let's Yes, let's definitely talk about that. You are actually not the first person who has asked if we're going to do a Charlize Theron month in Season 4. Um, Interesting. Two, one patron and one casual listener have both brought that up to me about, are you guys ever going to do, like, a Charlize Theron thing? So I... Th- I think that is probably worth looking at for sure. I think it's out in the ether, bud. <laughs> All right, t- take a peek at take a peek at what we got. See what's looking like. Maybe it could be bumped around, and we'll. Perfect. I say we get it on the books. Um, yeah, listener, Mad Max Fury Road. Definitely, if you've not seen this, you're doing yourself a disservice. It's a phenomenal movie. Very much worth your time. I highly recommend it, Carl. I assume same for you. Oh my god, man, this is like kicking on all cylinders. <laughs> watch the color version don't buy it and james cameron just shot himself in the head thirty thousand feet below the sea jimmy jimmy jimmy, jimmy buddy come, come but yeah uh definitely watch the color version if carl has any doubts about the the black and chrome the color version the grade itself is just worth seeing so watch that we're gonna take a moment and thank our patrons we are a listener supported podcast and starting in season four I believe I'm going to make the Patreon, and Carl and I can talk about this. I believe I am going to resume uh, regular business over on Patreon. That means that Patreon episodes will once again be behind a paywall. I'm not going to re-paywall anything. So anything that's free right now and available right now that you guys can go and listen to, that will continue to be free and available for you to listen to. I'm going to just leave that as a testament to the heinous year that we all just lived through. Absolutely. Obviously, we're still kind of in it, but that will always be there. All of that stuff that we've done up until the point of season four starting, everything that goes on Patreon will not be behind a paywall starting in season four. I am once again going to put those up. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. You get full-length bonus episodes, all sorts of awesome shit. But one of those awesome shits is shout-outs on the show. <laughs> and they sound a little something like this. We would love to thank our patrons. These are the people who have kept us going through this crazy year, who keep the mics hot, who keep the mics bought. Um, yeah. We would like to thank John and Casey Scheibe. Um, they are now officially a uh, patrons as a unit once oh, again. Oh, wonderful. Yep. Wonderful. So we've got them back. Um, I guess I should say Casey and John Shabby. She's been a patron yes. much longer. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't really matter. We love the Shabbies immensely. Um, William Rockwood, Daniele Hartelli, Connor Sweeney, who will be on the show very, very soon, actually. Look for him in the next couple of months. We're going to pr- start pre-recording some episodes with him that will show up in March. Spoilers. We would love to thank, from the bottom of our hearts, and very, very genuinely, not that all of these aren't, but in particular, especially this week, David Rowney. We'd like to thank you so much. Dude, the text message threads that you send to the group 
even when I don't respond because I'm shit at responding <laughs> to texts, dude, you're you're helping my mental and emotional health more than you know, sir. And agree more. We thank you enormously. So thank you, David Rowney. We would also like to thank Kelly and Mike Wagner, Brian Jackson, sister Sarah Hartley, living out, I believe, in a monastery in the woods now. Yes, yes absolutely. Fucking... They have birds and and a, a, a chicken. That's a lie. They don't have any of those things. <laughs> so, oh, it's a monastery of lies. Even better. Can't wait to it visit. Is. Um, we would love to, th- especially another person we'd love to special shout out. Thank you so much, Jeffrey Morgan, patron of the show and special guest host of our last two episodes. Oh, uh, oh actually, right. you haven't heard Folklore yet, folks, but well, maybe you have. I don't know when they're going to drop, but he's on two episodes and he's fucking great. We'd love <laughs> to thank Kevin Ramirez. We'd love to thank Leslie Ty, And then finally... We would love to thank uh, our patron, Cassandra. Uh, Cassandra has her own podcast, and it's called Cassandra Explains It All. Um, the Shibies have a podcast, too. It's called Some of Us, but I really want to talk about uh, really quickly because I know you got to go, Carl, and I love you. No, absolutely. I-, I love to hear about what Cassandra's doing. All right, dude. Cassandra Explains It All is this throwback. So she she was li- she really – ba- way back in season one, we did an episode on virgin suicides, and she fell in love with that episode. And over the course of like the next year, she started putting together ideas and she got a podcast up, up and off the ground. Cassandra explains it all. It's like kind of not specifically 90s, I don't think, but it is very much that 90s zeitgeist appreciation kind of podcast. She's done episodes on Clarissa explains it all heavyweights. She did an episode on the mask. She does um, episodes of like, I think one of the episodes she did was on a specific episode of boy meets world. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So like all that stuff that I watched when I was going through like elementary school, maybe very, very early high school, but kind of that childhood wheelhouse. I think you've got some of the same touchstones. I sure do, man. Absolutely. So that is her jam. That's what she talks about. And very recently she got on the, I want to say the creator of, um, he, he's worked on Doug Rugrats. Um, he worked on Clarissa explains it all. I mean, I could pop it up, but you could also just go check her podcast out. It's super fucking good. Um, so go and check out, listener, if you like what we do, and you, but you specifically want that 90s nostalgia bubble, oh, dude, she scratches that nostalgia itch, just, mm, ah. Clarissa explains it, no, Cassandra explains <laughs> it all. Clarissa explains it all as a TV show. Cassandra explains it all. I listen on Spotify, I think she primarily works through iTunes, but dude, listen to it, it's amazing, and there's a chance, a small, there's a small chance that we might have one or possibly two crossover episodes coming up. Marvelous. Um, that that is in the ether right now. That's kind of tenuous. We'll see what happens, but there's a very real chance that you guys you listeners who've been hearing me thank Cassandra for so long might get to hear Cassandra in not Marvelous. in not too long. Anywho, we love y'all. Measuring Flicks Podcast at gmail.com. Send me those theses, Mad Max Fury Road and Happy Feet, and we'll get you on our <laughs> episode. <laughs> I almost forgot about our challenge. No, uh, but seriously, though, do it. I'm going to post it on Insta. Four pages. Let's not get nuts, people. <laughs> All right. Um, and yeah. like, not like, like four font or anything or whatever, like a, a, the standard size 11 or 12. 12. College rules, everyone. Times New <laughs> right. Roman, size 12. Exactly. I will, and let's make it double space, too, because, come on, I don't necessarily want to read 35 minutes of... <laughs> 
<laughs> unless no. it's, unless it's brilliant. If you can blow me away, I don't think you Max will. Has, Max has too much uh, too much cutting or uh, editing uh, my long walk with the king to be reading your shit. That's true. Size twelve, double space times New Roman. Period. <laughs> All right, we love y'all. We're getting out of here. Stay shiny and chrome, and we will witness you. No, that's death. We don't want that. Jesus. Never mind. Uh, build, yeah. build a tree. N- nothing, nothing out that Did way but sand. Oh, it's a bleak. Oh, it's a bleak movie. You, play, you gotta plant a moon. Plant a moon, people. Plant a, plant a moon. We're gonna go now. I love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>